Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by David Baxter of the podcast Thank You Five to talk about the Mask of the Red Death. So welcome, David, or welcome back. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. And uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you suggested that we watch this particular movie, which I had not known very much about. Yeah. Well, me, I am a um, podcaster and roundabout person in New York who does stuff. <laughs> I don't know if there's any other better way to put it. I have a couple podcasts. I have Thank You Five, which is about musical theater, and Friends of the Countess, which is about the Real Housewives of New York. I've done a whole bunch of bunch. Uh, I've done a lot of performance stuff over uh, a cor- uh, in my life. And for this movie, one thing that really drew to me, drew me to it is like I do. I love a lot of horror movies. Mm-hmm. I l- really like sort of I guess existential religious slash spiritual horror more than yeah like. If he weren't a horrible racist, H.P. Lovecraft would be, like, right up my alley. Like, if yeah. it wasn't, like, the, like, you know, the real existential dread that we found along the way were the, the, all of the immigrants and non-white people and right. poor right. people and everyone who isn't, like, a rich white New Englander. Because <laughs> I kind of like that sort of dark yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I like that a lot more than like a slasher flick. Right. This also was a movie that, a medieval movie that is not based off of Robin Hood or King Arthur. I know. It's so, so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and it is not like some sort of weird historical biopic. Right. It, it, it has horror elements to bring it in for the season. I think I watch it every, I don't watch it every year, but I watch it every now and then like mm-hmm. around Halloween. I've been thinking of doing like a Vincent Price sort of marathon thing. He, yeah. And I love the uh, the styling of the movie. I don't know. Yeah. It's not the right, like the, there's. It's really visually interesting. Yes. Once you kind of get past, once your brain finally accepts like, okay, I'm watching a movie set in a vague medieval time period right. and place, which has like no, we have not defined. Oh no. And the lead, our, our lead female is wearing a maiden form bra and has a mullet hairdo and oh man those hair that yeah and our lead male is wearing gold lame everything <laughs> god i love that outfit like once you kind of get past that and just like let it happen you're like no this is fun it's yeah. atmospheric it's like the it's like all these like bright colors and vincent price is like just chewing the scenery and he's so good he really is. Yeah. It's kind of weird that he doesn't get more credit as an actor. I right. I feel like he kind of gets relegated towards this like B-list horror movie guy. And then yeah. of a certain generation, like he was the host of Mystery Before Diana Rigg. Mm-hmm. And he was also the guy in the Thriller video and the guy in Edward Scissorhands. But it seems like he really stuck in that whole like horror Halloween yeah. macabre genre. It's a hammy performance, but it's a good hammy performance, I think. Yeah. It feels committed. Yeah. Yeah, like, he, he seems like he was genuinely having a good time and mm-hmm. really committing to that role the entire time he was on set, and I really like seeing that. Yeah. You even, like, sit there and think, like, because he, and I don't know if it's just because he's a good enough actor, but there's a lot of times you're watching this, you're like, no, he has a point. Yeah. <laughs> 
a bunch of the things he said, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm an atheist, so a bunch of the things he mm-hmm. said, I'm like, yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Where he's like, can you really look at this world and think that there's, like, a good, loving God who's running things? I'm like, yeah! <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, like, he, not to get, like, too far ahead in the movie, but, like, he calls everybody there his friends. Even, like, <laughs> when he thinks he is talking to Satan and about to sacrifice them all, he thinks <laughs> it's like, I have brought all of my friends here. I know! <laughs> he seems to care genuinely about Francesca. Which I find so confusing, and we'll talk about that, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it does start going into, like, Beauty and the Beast territory. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, like, some Stockholmy stuff. Uh, I... I yeah. I'm glad that she does leave. Not mm-hmm. that I think ending up with Gino is like such a prize, to be honest. I mean, but, you know. <laughs> he has a nice butt. That's all I can yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. I-, I like to imagine that like afterwards she was she leaves him and like goes out to tour the world with a hop toad and Esmeralda. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, The Mask of the Red Death was released in 1964 and is based on an Edgar Allan Poe short story of 1850. I would say relatively loosely. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's the same, like, basic kind of outline, but there was definitely a lot of expansion, I would say, that was done in the film in order for it to, I guess, be a feature-length film because the story is, like, six pages. Yeah, I think every version of the mask of the red death has to do that because it's basically the story is basically prospero has a ball there's a bunch of rooms full that each are color-coded and then there's a clock and then everyone freaks out and some guy in red shows up and then they all die francesca is a major character in the film (laughs) and she is not in the short story at all nor is Juliana actually like Mm -hmm. like Prospero is really the only character essentially in the story I mean he has these friends who are hanging out for the ball Mm -hmm. but they're not really characters with distinct personalities as opposed to a general mass so it's like Prospero and I guess the Red Death Mm -hmm. yeah although Alfredo Hoptoad and Esmeralda do come from another Edgar Allan Poe story Right. So they kind of mash that in together. Yeah. But yeah, there's a, but there is a lot in this film that was, I guess, just basically, as far as I know, uh, made up for the film. So <laughs> Vibes. We're just going to vibe. And it stars Vincent Price as Prospero, Hazel Court as Juliana, Jane Asher as Francesca, David Weston as Gino, Patrick McGee as Alfredo, Skip Martin as Hot Toad. And Verena Greenlaw is Esmeralda, and I need to say something about this, because I started doing some digging, and it is, in fact, an eight-year-old girl. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is who they hired instead of uh, finding a adult woman with dwarfism mm-hmm. to play this role. They yeah. hired an eight-year-old girl, and then, I guess, like, put in dialogue from an adult woman in the one scene where she speaks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who did that voice. Yeah, I thought that was a weird choice. Yeah, and it is uncomfortable, first of all, because of the kind of weird ableism and the essentially just equation Mm -hmm. of people of dwarfism with being children. Mm -hmm. But also that there's a really icky dimension to it, given the way that she is sexualized as a character and in a romantic and presumably sexual relationship with another character who is an adult man. Mm -hmm. It is uncomfortable that that role is then played by a very young child 100 (laughs) percent. yes seconds yeah so yeah yeah there's like some scenes later on that i'm seeming there i guess there's supposed to be 
endearing, but they're not. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah. Ah. Yeah. And she could have been an interesting character, but it's, you know, it is just like made that, that dynamic is made so weird. And she also, she's not given a lot to do, which I assume is partly because whenever they have her actually say anything, they have to have this adult woman like do like doing her dialogue. Yeah. Which also got very weird. Yeah. An uncanny valley ish. Yeah. See, first section. Now that we've dealt with that, the enumeratio recap is where uh, we'll we'll go through some of the film. We have this old woman who is walking and collecting firework, and then she sees this mysterious figure dressed all in red who is playing with tarot cards. He tells her to come closer. He's got this white rose, and he turns it into a red rose, and he hands it to her and says to take it to her village and say that the day of their deliverance is at hand. Apparently, deliverance isn't a good thing. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> And as we see as this, as it goes on, the deliverance isn't a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does have that like, well, do you want to die or do you want to go to hell? Right. So I guess it's their deliverance in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it to, I mean, I knew it was going, I kind of get what he was saying, what it was saying at the first and didn't really expect it to go where it does go. Mm-hmm. With the village itself, especially yeah. because they do make a big deal about, like, the people of the village, we want to be free. like Right. And that's the interpretation that the villagers have, because we see as mm. Prince Prospero arrives in the village, that they're sort of emboldened by this prophecy, and that mm. their reaction is that they speak to him, and they basically say things like, we don't have to listen to you anymore. The prophecy says this is the day of our deliverance. <laughs> and he's like... I've come to invite you to a feast. We don't have to do anything you say. <laughs> and he's the, and they're like, yeah, you're just going to give us the scraps. He's like, yeah, you're peasants. You yeah. should appreciate yeah. my scraps. Like you can have your like water soup if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so there are two men in particular, Ludovico and Gino, who managed to irritate him. He orders them to be executed, and then this woman, Francesca, order uh, begs him to orders. She can't order anything. She begs him to be merciful. He says, "Okay, you can decide which one of them gets to die." And it turns out that one of them is her father, and the other is her lover. That seems very convenient, or something, right? And this is a very sort of charming family setup because also the men later refer to each other as friends. It's like, oh, mm. everybody gets along very well, apparently. In this town of six huts. Of, <laughs> yep. There was something about the way that the people looked. Like, I'm so used to sort of sword and sorcery Middle Ages stuff where it just seems like they just sort of dipped everybody in dirt. Yeah. And this seemed like a little bit more like they just had a little bit of self-tanner. Yeah. But they worked out a little <laughs> bit too hard. And, and, like, they were... They spent the day in the garden, and now they're back. Yeah. Then, of course, however, there are the choices made about Prospero's whole outfit situation. (laughs) He shows up. He's wearing gold lame and a hat that I can best describe as looking kind of like one of those vaguely offensive sombreros that they give out at restaurants like Chi-Chi's at children's birthday parties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did look a little bit... When I think sombrero these days, I think of... The, the salsa hat in mm-hmm. Despicable Me, where mm-hmm. it is a sombrero, but mm-hmm. it's like always made out of a chip and it has like salsa in it. <laughs> Which is not really. <laughs> He's inviting them to a feast. He's like. He just came here. to give them chips and salsa from his yeah. hat. Yeah. And they were so rude. 
so, so rude. rude. While he's busy trying to kill these people, a woman starts screaming, and it turns out that's because she's been busy dying of the Red Death, and that's why he couldn't get her to shut up. This also happens really fast. Like, it's kind of implied that she was just visiting the mysterious Red figure, and now she's... Now she's dead. Yes, the plague in general, and this this is an imaginary disease. Mm-hmm. The Red Death acts very, very quickly, much more quickly mm-hmm. than the Black Death would have, yeah. which was not slow, but not mm-hmm. instantaneous the way this seems to yeah. be, almost. Yeah, this really kind of implies that, like, you're okay for a minute, and then all of a sudden you get, like, dipped in red paint, and then you die. Your blood, I guess, all ends up on the outside of your body, so then you're dead. I guess so. <laughs> That's a good way. Yeah. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I guess you just bleed out your pores. Yeah. And I guess it makes sense that it would kill you fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're, in, we're in a real disease. If you just started bleeding out of all of your pores. Yes. That would be. I mean, in the novel, it's described, novella, short story, whatever, it's described a little bit more like, it is a quick death, and it mm-hmm. is... Aching body pain. It sounds. I mean, it's sort of a combination of like every bad disease. There, you know, yeah. your insides liquefy like Ebola, and you get like sharp pains everywhere, and everything goes bad in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. While we're talking about the Red Death, I do think it's interesting that most of the t- most of the adaptations of the Mask of the Red Death that I've seen have placed the Mask of the Red Death firmly in ye medieval times, which is not really clear in the story. Yeah. Like, I don't think, I don't think there's a time frame that's placed. It's just you're no. told there's, the, the castle used to be an abbey, mm-hmm. and there's a big clock. Yes, and that's really all we know. But mm-hmm. clearly they're aiming for a vague medieval setting. I, for the sake of argument, am assuming 14th century-ish, really just by analogy to the Black Death. Mm-hmm. But that is not something that I would say like is inherently coming out of the film. Yeah. They're not sitting there saying like, there's, there's no like Chiron saying, you know, (laughs) Sicily 1385. Right. Which I, which I do always find funny in films when they're just like weird fantasies that have no real historical elements and are like, this takes place in precisely the year 982. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to figure out where I would thought this would be placed because everybody has vaguely Italian sounding names. Except for one woman with a Spanish name. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, could this be Spain or are we thinking Italy or is it just, but the, everybody has British accents. Right. But that's par for the course. Yeah. yeah that's, that's true. <laughs> and then later on, I, I, knew, I knew nothing about Catania, but I know at some point in time, Prospero mentions like the greatest swordsman in Italy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is he trying to imply that we're in Italy? Yeah, so we have Catania as a place name, which would indicate Sicily. Mm-hmm. I'll take that as a location. And as I said, uh, time-wise, I would assume 14th, maybe mm-hmm. early 15th century, as I said, just by analogy with the Black Death. But yeah. as I said, there's not a lot of direct evidence for that. They don't care. <laughs> no, <laughs> they, they do not. <laughs> Since this woman has died, that occasions a change of plans for Prospero. He takes Francesca, he takes the two men, and orders the village burned. And I do appreciate that at least there's a good reason to burn the village. Because this Mm -hmm. is sort of a pet peeve of mine, that you have a lot of villages being burned down just to show that the Lord is very mean. Mm -hmm. But it never makes any sense, because the point is that he's trying to exploit the peasants of the village... And so Mm -hmm. you don't understand why he wants to burn the village down because then there's less for him to exploit. 
which is why historically there isn't that much of lords burning down their own peasants' villages as opposed to the villages of other lords. Oh, the guy next door. He's, you know. Yeah, but here it makes sense because he's trying to, I guess, wipe out the plague. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, and it goes to the whole thing of, like, Prospero isn't wrong? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he I honestly he's is... passionate. No, but, but it, burning down the place where the plague started is... It's at least kind of reasonable. Mm-hmm. It's not very nice. I mean, he could yeah. have found homes for the people whose houses they just he just burned right. down. But I'm having to make hard decisions here, Francesca. But I do appreciate at least like the rationality. Right. As opposed to like, you can't pay your taxes, so I'm going to burn your fields. Good yeah. Because then it, that'll help you be able to pay your, your taxes. Yeah. It's the classic robin hood story. yeah yeah exactly exactly so as i said i appreciate that here at least there is a reason that makes sense for him to burn down this village of five people right oh my god <laughs> so yeah yeah it's just like 12 people who live in this village maybe so he and francesca arrive at the castle in his cardboard litter uh, <laughs> <laughs> like no shade to the props department but yeah i think like i glazed over the the litter because like the hat like the hat coming in with, like, gold lame trim, I was just kind of like, okay, we're fine, okay. All right, I get it. Francesca is forcibly bathed in a rather Baroque-looking bathtub and attempts out of modesty to hide herself, which Prospero makes fun of. And he also sees that she is wearing a cross and asks if, you know, this is just a thing that she does because you're supposed to or if she's a true believer and she says that she is and he orders her to remove it. And that was a big-ass cross. It was a very large cross. And that looked to be made of silver. Yeah. Which is a lot for a impoverished peasant girl living in this village of 12 huts. Who's she going to sell it to? The, the guy next door. <laughs> he doesn't have any money. <laughs> like, go into town. You can feed your family for a month. You can feed the this village the for only, a month. Yeah, this is the only <laughs> town. <laughs> there are no other towns. Until you get, I don't know, across the mainland. We are. Everyone else is dead. (laughs) (laughs) There's no towns. You have to get all the way to Rome to find a town, apparently. Yeah, apparently. (laughs) The tub looked... I mean, I'm pretty sure it's, like, not historically accurate, but it also looked large enough that I could actually take a bath in it because I'm six foot three. And I was like, I'm always... One day I'm going to have a tub that I can actually, like, get in and not be, like, half out of. Yeah, yeah, it was a very big tub. It looked like she had a lot of space. It has a bunch of like gilded swans, Mm -hmm. I think, around it. And it's like, but it was like turquoise or something too, right? Yeah, it was also in the middle of the bedroom. Yes, (laughs) where where all bathtubs are. And I do appreciate the riot of color in this Mm -hmm. film, especially because there are so many things that portray the Middle Ages as this unending sea of gray. I really liked the emphasis on how brightly colored everything is. Yeah, I, I wrote down something about that, especially for a little bit later with with the, with the actual mask. But mm-hmm. even when it is not historically accurate, like I'm pretty sure the wallpaper. Oh yeah. Yeah, like the, the sky blue Louis the Sixteenth <laughs> wallpaper that they have in that bedroom is not historically accurate, but it still shows a lot of color. 
And yeah. Even if you even looking at like old books, like there was a lot of color. Yeah, there's a lot of color in books. The statu- medieval statuary, which we think of as being, you know, stone white gray statuary, that all used to be painted. Is just the paint is for the most part worn off. Mm-hmm. And people, especially if you're talking about the nobility, they would have worn very brightly colored clothing, especially in kind of celebratory court settings. It might not have been made out of polyester, but it would still be colorful. <laughs> <laughs> I think they would have liked the gold on I don't think they would have had the gold on but I think they would have enjoyed it. Yeah, I can see that <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> being like, oh, yeah, I know, this is great. It looks rich. Yeah. Fancy. It doesn't breathe, but it's fancy. Okay, I've got my new answer, actually, for what I would bring back in time. <laughs> if I got, went back to the Middle Ages, I would bring back and sell a bunch of gold lame. Hey, that would be good. <laughs> Because it's not actually that expensive, but I think people would love it. And I think people would pay more than it's worth. Yeah, that's great. Mine is usually like some sort of pop songbook thing. Mm. So that I could be like a wandering troubadour singing about like, my lords and ladies, here is like the ballad of Lucky, who is <laughs> a star, <laughs> but she cries, cries, cries in her lonely heart. <laughs> Thy hips sort do not lie. Yes, exactly, right? <laughs> Have you ever seen the, I think it's Hildegard von Blingen YouTube channel? Yes, so great. We also meet at this point Juliana, who is Prospero's girlfriend, I guess. Mm -hmm. Who's been kicked out of her room. (laughs) Right, she's been kicked out of her room. She She has to let Juliana wear one of her dresses. She has to teach Francesca about court life, and she's very annoyed about this. It seems clear that she's not annoyed because she, like, loves Prospero and is jealous exactly so much as that she has a good thing going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't screw this up for me, kid. Yeah. I'm going to marry Satan, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> Satan likes me better than he likes you. <laughs> <laughs> you can have Prospero. It's fine. <laughs> I have bigger plans. <laughs> I have Satan. Okay. And I mean, I guess she does. I don't, well, I, we don't really... Yeah, I don't know what goes on with her, but... Well... Yeah. Some some stuff that's not great, maybe. But. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, I know, but like, I don't, yeah, no, yeah, I don't, I mean, it's implied that all of the occultism is, like, not real, so. But maybe she is now the reigning queen of hell. Maybe she's having a grand right. time. That's what I want to imagine for her, that yeah. she, like, she got what she wanted. She is, like, down there sipping wine and doing amazing. Yeah, I hope for the best for her. <laughs> we have this... Satanist party. Uh, there is, by the way, an altar, like an altarpiece with saints on it, just like in the back room. Is that the the thing with the four figures? Yes. It was like, yeah, okay. I wasn't sure what that was. I like. I, that's I what it looks it. like, certainly. Yeah, because like, I couldn't tell if they like because I couldn't I couldn't figure out if somebody had just like found an image in a book and were like, let's just recreate this, and then it turns out yeah. it's like, <laughs> you know, an altar the like the altarpiece of Saint Gerard. There wasn't a specific thing that I recognized it as, but it looked a lot like things of a style that I've seen where it is really Mm -hmm. common in a lot of these altarpieces that you have a, like a row of saints, but they kind of all get their own little like arch that they're under. Mm -hmm. They're on just like kind of a gold background, but that you have like three or four or five or seven of them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're flanking. There's like a few on each side and they're flanking a virgin and child or something. But that's what it, that's what the kind of like this row of figures looked like to me. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're satanic saints. Maybe. Watching the party. 
watching the guy hold a knife to the his lady love. As you do, just as yeah. normal people just mm-hmm. do. Well, th- this goes into a little bit of the... One thing that I both find hysterical about this movie in general is I'm assuming we are deep into like Hayes Code-ness right now. Yeah. The portrayal of like debauchery <laughs> usually just ends up people just sort of running around laughing. <laughs> right. Because you can't actually show people like having an orgy, which I feel like is yeah. what they want to imply is happening at these parties. Mm-hmm. There's no queer people. <laughs> no. Oh, no. no. Definitely not any queer people at this orgy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if they are, they're doing their best to not let anybody know. Right. And it's like, really? Really? At the Satanist yeah. party, everybody like is like, like has to like adhere to compulsory heterosexuality? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody is like paired off. There's no like triads. There's no. Nope. It's like just one man, one woman giggling. Right. It's like in the implied orgy, the orgy is really just a lot of like straight couples having sex in the same room as each other. And I mean, I've been to that party and it's boring. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly sounds like it would be sort of disappointing if you went to a sex party and then that's all you got. Yeah. I have not actually been to that party. (laughs) That sounds really like sort of like, oh, okay, I guess. All right. (laughs) For food. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There does need to be food, at least. Yeah. I mean, he's taking care of his people. He's got, like, food and wine and entertainment. Yeah. For his friends. Yeah, for his friends. None of them get names. No. (laughs) A couple of them. We have, like, two. We have, like, two that get named at some point. This includes that he presents the dancers Esmeralda and Hop Toad. And they also come in with this just gorgeous Afghan hound. Yes. Love this dog. Yeah. I started writing notes here because Elsmerelda is doing very clearly a modern ballet dance. <laughs> and in Whoops. fact, like I had, I had a lot of notes about the dancing in general, but it goes very much into that, like, we don't care what time period we're in. Right. Yeah. Right. You can say more about the dancing later, especially because I know literally nothing about dance. Yeah, sure. So Definitely. I took notes. <laughs> I'm, I'm the person who never got into the high school musicals because I did okay on the singing part, but failed at the dancing part. Really? And they wouldn't, still wouldn't like... <laughs> no. No, okay. I was so bad. Aww. They made exceptions for the boys and they didn't make exceptions for the of girls, course. which sucks. there's always like five girls to like the one boy exactly exactly yeah. so like all the boys sucked at dancing but there were enough uh, women who were willing to be in the musical and were good at True. singing that dancing that not yeah. being able to dance would knock you out so it's kind of sad because like in high school we didn't have dance auditions for the musicals but part of that i think was because it was run by the choir department and so mm. it was very focused on like, yeah can you sing great no okay go across you know go to the boys school and do theater <laughs> like we don't need you here. <laughs> The dancing was never really that big of a deal. But then when I went to actual theater school, right, there were moments where they were, we would have like a student showcase and you could tell like none of the men were dancers. Uh-huh. And so to showcase like the like the one or two dancing women that they had, they would have like the most attractive man sort of stand there and like <laughs> wave his arms <laughs> while, like, while the dancers are like flirting around him and like, yeah, <laughs> ways you make it work, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, Alfredo, meanwhile, is just creepily leering at Esmeralda. Again, another thing which is so much creepier, given that they hired an eight-year-old girl. Yeah. And especially since they adultified up her outfit. Uh Uh-huh. Like, they gave her little maiden form and, like, really cinched her waist in. Yep. 
Because I thought at first, too, it might have been like somebody else. And then like, yeah, it's a later scene where she's actually talking and they're having a dub over her voice. I was like, oh, that was the point at which I looked it up and then said, mm-hmm. oof. Yeah. So that's a big oof. She knocks over a glass of wine while she's dancing. So Alfredo slaps her in the face and then makes the just excellent comment. If the wench were full sized, she'd drown us all in wine. Maybe don't put your wine glass on the floor, dude. Right? Why is your wine on the floor? Yeah. During a dance performance. Like, you should know better. Yeah. Alfredo. It's not a reason to, like, hit a woman and make ableist, like, comments yeah. about her. Yeah. I mean, it's... Hmm. There's also the weird conversation where, like, he and Prospero are talking about, like, he's like, where did you find her? Are you going to corrupt her? It's like, <laughs> oh, no, please stop talking. Please. Yeah. No, we cannot do this. Yeah. Speaking of corruption, Francesca comes in in her new dress and she is dressed in white because she's very innocent. Mm-hmm. Which you wonder if, Ju- where did Juliana get her white dress then? Was this like, <laughs> did she have to like give it up when she was like, okay, I'm ready to show cleavage, so I have to give up the white dress? Maybe that's the dress that she wore her first time before she got corrupted. Yeah. <laughs> You wear the white dress. Yeah, you wear the white dress once, and then you're corrupt, so you can't wear the white dress anymore, and you have to wait until Prospero finds a new girl to corrupt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you move on. You move up the ladder of Satanist women. Yes. You know, the Satanic <laughs> Lady hierarchy. In the Satanic Lady Guild. <laughs> <laughs> the Satanic Women's Auxiliary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the movie that I want is actually just the Satanic Women's Auxiliary. <laughs> this is excellent. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's more or less Suspiria at, at a ballet school. Mm, yeah. So we then have the scene at the party, which is designed to both, I guess, indicate decadence, but also Prospero's inappropriate level of power, which is that he just tells that people to play at being various animals, uh, for a joke that he enjoys. We've got a person pretending to be a pig and then someone pretending to be a worm. We do have one woman, Senorita Escobar, who is the one woman who I'm just like, why are you just Spanish? (laughs) Also, it seemed one of those things that like, it's supposed to be decadent. And I Mm -hmm. think in a different movie, it would be done where it is very clear that these people are not consenting to this. Right. Like this is the price they have to pay to be, uh, to stay in this Yes. But- they all seem to be, like, really into it. They're having a great time. They They're are. Laughing. There's one lady who, like, the moment he says go, she's, like, starts, like, running around clucking like a chicken. Like, yeah. Like, this seems like drunk party games. Like. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, when the first guy did it, I was like, ooh, is this, like, uncomfortable? And, like, are they not really consenting? But then they all seem to be mm-hmm. having a great time. And at the end, he's just like, mm-hmm. the rest of you, do this, too. Just use your imagination. I'm not going to come up yeah. with animals for all of you. And yeah. they <laughs> seem to be having a lot of fun. Right. It's like in the movie Miracle on 34th Street or how a bunch of men tell a woman to raise her own child. (laughs) There's the part where Santa Claus is instructing little Natalie Wood about how to play zoo. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm not a monkey. I'm a little girl. And like, apparently all the other kids were playing animals. And she was like, I don't know how to do this. She wouldn't know how to do it here. Yeah. Yeah. No, Natalie Wood at the Prosperous Zoo Party. He he needed people who already had their training in advance of how to behave like a zoo animal. He, he's like, you you have to have at least graduated from groundlings to be. Yeah, <laughs> it's really just an improv party. <laughs> oh god, that sounds like hell. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that actually is what, what Prosperous Hell is. It is actually yeah. just a never-ending improv party. <laughs> <laughs> there actually is an audio drama of A Massacre of the Red Death where instead of Francesca, the, mm-hmm. the audience viewpoint character is a group of improvisational actors <laughs> who, like their whole thing is that they're actors, but they make up the story to go along. And so mm-hmm. Prospero has been like cycling through various troops of actors and acrobats and everybody because like he wants his guests to be entertained, but they all just piss him off. And so he hangs them. <laughs> so he's running out of actors in Italy <laughs> <laughs> and it's following this group of like improvisational actors as they go to Prospero's castle to deal with him in the red death. <laughs> Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. It's actually, I, it's, 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 I think you can find it on, it's online somewhere. I know it's okay. connected through the audio, the audio drama, the dark tone, but, and it's a very, it's a very good one. Okay. But, um, yeah. yeah they are all improvisational actors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, he then brings Francesca into a upsettingly yellow room and tells her the sweet, charming story about how his dad imprisoned somebody in that room for three years as just a fun, cool experiment. And then after he couldn't handle looking at the sun. I want to know how they actually imprisoned people in that room because unless like the doors were changed. Yeah. You look like you could probably break the door down with your bare hands if you had enough time. Yeah. I mean, later on when they can't get out of the black room, it's clearly clear that like Satan or death or whomever is like locked in there. But this is like the yellow room. And they can't call Satan every time they have to lock up somebody in a room. <laughs> like, I'm busy. Come on. Excuse me, I'm the prince of hell. I have I'm better things your... to do than guard this door. Guard. <laughs> I can get a lesser demon, but they're not going to be that great. No. Yeah, no. He's, he's... And they have a mandatory work break. Yes, we are unionized. As they should be. Yeah. This is also when he has the line that he says, can you look around this world and believe in the goodness of a God who rules it? Which I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Legit point. And also tells her that tells Francesca that the God of love and light is dead and that something now rules in his place. So essentially God's dead. Satan is in charge now. The, what is it? That stupid movie. God's not dead. Like they have things to say about that. <laughs> that's what I want. I just want Prospero to fight. With the God's Not Dead. What? Kevin Sorbo. Yeah, I just want him to fight with Kevin Sorbo. I also think there was a little interesting thing where maybe they did this to like, because of the budget, but the rooms, they have a yellow room, a purple room, a white room, and a black room. Yeah. In the short story, it goes blue, purple, green, orange, white, violet. Like there's some sort of difference between purple and violet. Mm-hmm. But then the last one is black with, uh, red windows right so it seems like there's kind of condensed some of these down but it was just sort of mm-hmm. like i didn't quite understand removing half the colors yeah i would guess a budget thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that they just like couldn't afford to paint it like that they yeah. just didn't they just didn't have a set big enough to mm-hmm. have all of these rooms yeah which very much do look like a set mm-hmm <laughs> Yes. There is a lot of streaming through the French doors and the colors and the the, the vision colors, which I always, it's one of my favorite things to do is to stream through a French door. <laughs> and that's what they're for. You got to stream through mm. and yeah, and then go from the room, which is entirely upsetting bright yellow to the room that is entirely dark purple. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's like a dark, I thought it, like I couldn't, fi- I almost thought it was the black room for a moment. Yeah. It is a dark purple. It's like a, 
It's like an eggplant color. They are all extremely unpleasant in their yeah. own special way. Like, they all seem yeah. like awful places to spend more than about five minutes. Yeah, that's actually... Maybe that's the maybe that's like the satanic interior decorating, right? <laughs> like that's part of it. Like it, like these are the magic rooms, and they have like we. Yes, it's going to be yellow, but it's not going to be like a. In my parents' old house, my mom's sewing room was like a pastel buttery yellow, and it was mm-hmm. very like with like a white trim, and it was very warm and inviting. And yeah, this is like crayon yellow. Yeah, no, it's a weird shade. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't blame the guy who was in this room for three years and could never look at anything yellow again, including the sun. Yeah. I, yeah. Same thing. I, mean, yeah. I, I already hate eggplants and I have to, if I'd have to stay in that eggplant room, I probably would <laughs> hate everything purple. <laughs> and the white room reminds me of, <laughs> there was an episode of Absolutely Fabulous where mm-hmm. the two main characters go to visit somebody who's like incredibly artsy and yeah. modern and whatever. And her entire house is white. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, that table. sort of look, yeah. But it's everything is so blindingly white that when she tells them to put, like, the wine they brought over as a housewarming gift on the white table over there, they can't find it because everything <laughs> is the same shade of white. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely what that room is like. Mm-hmm. They're just all uniquely unpleasant. There's also the candles. The candles match the room, but then also there are candles throughout Prospero's Hall that are, like, technicolor candles. And that fill in the colors that we're missing, because we do have, like, bright green yeah. candles. And, yeah, and it's like, mm-hmm. these are... Well, that's not what, that's not what the candles look like. I'll just, yeah, it, I'll just say that. I'll just say that we, like, didn't have, like, that specific, like, bright green candle situation. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the attention to color, but... You know, I mean, at this point, we've already like had the wallpaper and the right, the mullet hairdo and the the gold lame and the, <laughs> the right. Bathtub. It's like what? <laughs> Fine, okay. We also have this like eerie nightmare sequence where Francesca is mm. sleeping and there's like this shadow that approaches and she's waking up and she's walking around and investigating and then she turns around and her cross is gone and in its place is a bloodstain shaped like the cross. Oh no. Is this where she goes downstairs? Yeah. She makes up all, like, every time she gets up, she makes, like, a a horror movie mistake. Right. Yeah, she goes downstairs and she walks through all the rooms and she walks to the black room where she was told Mm -hmm. earlier she wasn't allowed to go into. It's like, come on, girl. Yeah. And, And this is also the time where you see her bedroom and apparently there's no fourth wall. No. (laughs) Which seems, I like sleeping in the cold, but that seems like a lot. But also in another hilarious demonstration of the fact that, yes, this is indeed just all on a set, it Mm -hmm. looks out onto what looks like they are supposed to be windows, but despite the fact that plot-wide it is clearly supposed to be night, it is Mm -hmm. based on the lighting outside, clearly like maybe 7 p.m.? Well, it's like whenever a movie takes place and it's like 4 o'clock in the morning... But yeah. everything is really bright just and just happens to be blue. Yeah. Or I don't know if they still do this, but like the old movie trick of filming everything in this, you film everything in the daylight and then you go and like just tint everything darker. Yeah. The biggest one I can think of is if you ever watch uh, The Sound of Music, there's a couple of scenes where mm. she's like out in the like the grounds at nighttime. Yeah. But if you're looking at it, it's very clearly it was shot during the day and they just like tinted the whole reel like a dark blue. <laughs> Great. 
Great setup. Yeah, that's this is when she's like, she's wandering around and she hears Prospero's voice and it's like, my God, stop going through the forbidden door like a dumbass. Right. Like, Uh alone. Oh, and this is where, yeah, she sees Prospero who's like lying as if he's dead and then runs off. Mm. She reaches out to touch him, which I'm like, you hear, you hear chanting. There's a crow over there. Juliana's there with a crow. Yeah. And she's like asleep, but wide eyed and staring at you. Mm -hmm. And then... Prospero, who you know to be like an evil Satanist yeah. prince of whatever, is lying there in a coffin with like a thing, and that's like his sleeping thing. I, I if I had just let him that, be, right? It would be like, all right, I'm gonna count this as a bad dream, and I'm gonna go back to bed. Yep. Bye. Gonna go. I'm gonna go. Right. I will say also, I just absolutely love Vincent Price in the scene where he, mm-hmm. you know, comes out as a Satanist. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, at some point, he's like, you know, my master. And she's like, your master. And he's like, Satan. You know, Satan. <laughs> and he just plays it so well. <laughs> like, it's just like, you can mm-hmm. tell that Vincent Price is enjoying it. But also, it really seems like the character just, like, thinks that, like, telling this young woman that he's a Satanist is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And he's not wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, she came in wearing, like, the world's, like, Flavor Flav's sized silver cross around her neck. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's very much like when I was in Catholic school and would go to certain retreats, there were definitely the people who were trying to, like, freak everybody out by, like, oh, yeah, I'm a Satanist. (laughs) I may or may not at my Jewish camp have been the person who tried to freak people out by saying I was a witch. Fun. Mm -hmm. I may or may not have been that person when I was, like, 13. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like, yeah. I... It kind of bounced back and forth between the things. Like, I remember going to a religious retreat and, like, the, the, the hardcore believers were too much. And then, like, the hot topic Satanists were too much. Yeah. So it was kind of like, where's the... I just want to chill. Yeah. My hot topic Satanist kind of phase was short-lived, at least. Yeah. I kind of moved relatively quickly from that into my not necessarily talking about it a ton, but being just like, you know, I don't really believe in this whole thing either. I don't really believe in mm-hmm. just like any of this. Yeah. I think this is just all bullshit. Yeah, I think this was around the time I was big into reading a lot of pagan literature. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like, I'm going to go to the Roman Catholic youth group, but in, in like my backpack, I'm going to have like a cover around my copy of Wicca for the solitary practice. Or the 21 Lessons of Merlin, which is a book that I, like, if there is, it's it's one of the few books that I would love to, like, find every copy and burn. <laughs> like, I don't think that shouldn't happen, but, like, that and, like, the Turner Diaries are, like, mm. the two books I would love to wipe out of existence. Fair. And then Francesca the next day is taken out by Prospero so he can show off his falconry skills. The falcon kills a dove. Uh, we've got a great combination of, like, stock footage of a falcon uh, chasing a dove, followed by a clearly, like, stuffed dead dove thrown to the ground. I loved her being scandalized by this. Like, It's like, this is just what rich people do. Right. Not to mention she's a peasant. She's seen, like... Hunting. She's probably had to slaughter animals yeah. to, like, feed herself. Yeah. The idea of, like, oh, no, I can't do that. That's so barbaric. I can... No, you've probably done that. <laughs> you, you've had to kill a pig at least once, Francesca. Mm-hmm. 
I wanted to do a little bit of falconry deep dive, but I couldn't really, I didn't have the time, but cause like he goes into a whole thing about how you tame a falcon. Yeah. I don't know. My falconry knowledge comes from Mercedes Lackey, so I mean. <laughs> right. I don't have really extensive falconry knowledge either. It it sounded at least close to right, as opposed to the amazing movie, The Night with a K Before Christmas, which seems to think that falconing, that like going like, fal- that like falconing is like you go and like see which falcon wins the race. Yeah. Um, so this, at least in contrast, seems to have a basic mm-hmm. concept of what you like do with a falcon in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know you've talked about that movie. <laughs> I don't want to like. I, I have like I have thoughts about the night. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like I was brought back to like watching that movie and being like, how did you? Do the research to put this during Edward II, but then he's calling hot chocolate mead. Yep. And why on God's green earth would you order, like, hot chocolate and cheeseburgers together? Right. I also was like, does he just think everything's mead? What? They had other things that they drank. Yeah, and then somehow he knew how to bake. Yeah, because he just, like all knights, was an apprentice baker when he was a child. What? (laughs) Yes. Oh, also, one, like, one quick thing about that movie. The movie that they're watching on Netflix is a movie called The Spirit of Christmas. Yes, it's also a Netflix Christmas movie. (laughs) Yes, and they just made it black and white. Uh And then the ornament is from The Christmas Prince. Yeah, yeah, it's the country like... combining all of like The Christmas Prince, which (laughs) The Christmas Prince and The Princess Switch are in the same universe. And so The Night Before Christmas is in the same universe. And now there's time travel in... Yeah. This universe, like... In the extended Netflix Christmas universe. Yeah. Very bizarre. Very... Yeah, I could do a whole TED Talk on that. <laughs> <laughs> I have, like, unlimited things. I, I, taught, uh, I taught the night before Christmas because I hate myself and my students. <laughs> I mean, it's like, the, the medieval Christmas movies, I think, are that and The Lion in Winter, so I mean... Yes, which is excellent, so that's... Yeah. That's a medieval Christmas movie you should watch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Falcon kills a dove. Prospero is wearing a blue turban. More on mm-hmm. that decision later. Also, yeah, he compares Falcon training to religion. And he's like, just like, you know, I like taught the Falcon and blinded it with like all of these like falconry equipment. Thus your God taught and blinded you with crosses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, her cross was pretty big enough to like blind somebody. True. But, like... You know, even if it's just the shine off of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I don't think that's what he was referring to. I also find it really funny that in this movie, the only Christian symbolism they seem to have any concept of is the cross. Mm -hmm. I mean, there aren't images of Christ or or, or anything with the Virgin Mary. There's Mm -hmm. just a cross. I wonder if the K- the Hayes Code had anything to do with that mm. because it is a horror movie or any of the codes that were going on at the time. I also wonder if they were trying to gear it towards a American Protestant audience. Yeah, because the crucifix even, or sorry, the cross even I think is like a cross as opposed to like yeah. the crucifix where you actually are seeing like the image of Christ on the cross. Yeah. So I wonder if they were like, well, if we put the crucifix on it, they're all going to think this is Pappas Claptrap and right. denounce it as like, well, she's Satanist too. So why can't they just like get together and be Satanist <laughs> together? <laughs> Catholics are already Satanists. I'm going to talk about that later. Yeah. And I mean, there is a distinct lack of any sort of religious imagery mm-hmm. 
end discussion beyond God and the devil. Like, I don't even think they right. mention Jesus. I think they just say, like, God versus right. the devil. Yeah, I don't think they ever mention Jesus. Like, they don't mention Jesus, but they do mention Belial. Right. They they don't, I think, ever talk about the Virgin Mary. No. Or any saints. They also never talk about, and they never talk about things like the Eucharist. Like, Christianity mm. is solely made up of being sad when people or animals die and wearing a cross. Mm-hmm. That's what Christianity is, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also no indication that to go even further with that, they don't talk about Judaism. They don't talk about Islam. They don't oh, talk no. About anything oh, other, no. Like, it is just like God and Satan. And there definitely, by the way, would have been certainly a Jewish community in Sicily at this time. Mm. I think by this point, there's not still much of a Muslim community if we're assuming that this is 14th century, although I'm not 100% mm. sure about that. But they certainly mm. would have been aware of the existence of Islam. And there would have been like occasional Muslim traders who would have been in yeah. Sic- uh, Sicily. Especially if you're in Sicily. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that would be like you're on the road towards every crusade yeah there there are absolutely muslim merchants who are going to sicily Mm -hmm. they would have known what muslims and jews were yeah in a basic sense and yeah they are also not in this movie i mean this is also supposed to be in sicily and everyone is paler than me so i mean (laughs) right right (laughs) there's no diversity in any of what like, yeah, Francesca, the like pale redhead. Okay. Yeah, they have redheads and brunettes. <laughs> <laughs> Although props to them for having the the good girl be a be a redhead and not like yeah like golden blonde. Yeah, it's it is nice. I think the only blonde is oh, I think Senorita Escobar is blonde. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think she has a line. She just sort of is like finishes chewing and is like, okay. She like snorts, right? Because <laughs> she's supposed to be braying like an ass. So she's laughing at the guy doing the worm. Mm-hmm. And then her laugh kind of sounds like braying. So he's like, you, this is what you sound like anyway. It'd be a braying jackass. And she's like, okay. And lifts up her like two <laughs> wine cups that she's double fisting and makes them into horns. So you're going to ask yeah. is really just like goals, clearly. Yeah. She is. She, she's having a good time at that party. She's like, I'm. I want to party with Cedrita Escobar. <laughs> she seems fun. She does. She knows how to have a good time. We have also the then arrival of Prince Scarlatti, and Prospero explains that sorry, you came here late, so now your invitation has been rescinded because the Red Death is out there. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was the reason why they couldn't come in. That was my reading of it, because I feel like the night before he'd said something basically like, the Red Death is out there, but we're all in here, so we're safe, Mm. but outside the Red Death is raging... So that was my mm-hmm. assumption was that if was that it was that he like came late and because he came late he couldn't come mm-hmm. in because he might have the yeah. plague. It's very biblical. It's very yeah. like the women with the lamps. Right. Yeah, or the <laughs> uh the bit in the book of Joshua where it's like, mm-hmm. well, I was going to have you win all of these battles, but one of you like took a glass, so no you're <laughs> all going to die instead. Maybe? <laughs> Sorry. That's where Willy Wonka got it from. <laughs> <laughs> Willy Wonka is God. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, he sees everything and he... Yeah. Oh, good Lord. And that makes Charlie like a Jesus figure. Yeah. And especially since he takes on the sins of the other... Uh Uh-huh. Because also because in the book, he is... In the book compared to the movie, he's like, he doesn't even sin in the book. Mm -hmm. He's like... Mm -hmm. 
He's the only one who doesn't screw up. He is the innocent successor who has to sacrifice himself for the sins of the other evil children. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I I cannot believe, like, I I think I have to write a paper about this. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least some fanfic. Yeah, yeah. Just like really weird medievalist fanfic, which like is like turning, <laughs> like turning this into like a weird Bible passage. Oh, gee. <laughs> so, anyway, so he won't let Scarlatti in, mm-hmm. despite all of his begging. He also then says, "Do you want to fuck my wife? If you fuck, but like, if you can fuck my wife, if you let us in." Like, and that old thing, I've already had that. Yeah, he's like, yeah. I think the line is, "I've already had that." doubtful pleasure it's like ooh. <laughs> wow you can't even say it was fun yeah this makes me wonder if like the the lateness was an excuse like he just didn't like scarlatti he was like no you're not getting no no you can't come to my orgy i'm sorry yeah we've been we've been down that road before and you're just yeah. not that fun at these kinds of parties yeah seats taken God, sorry. <laughs> sorry i let some peasants in instead Oops. yeah like it's some sort of like it's it's a convenient excuse like if he had showed up on time he'd be like oh my god it's a girl Lottie again we gotta uh. but since he's yeah. late he's like nope you're um you're you're late. Sorry, can't come in. Bye. <laughs> yeah. So yes, and Scarlatti begs in the name of friendship that he be allowed to that he be spared the red death. To which Frostrow's response is to shoot him with an arrow and say, <laughs> "For you, friend." And then tosses a sword down. To like he doesn't even give it to <laughs> like. It's like like you're not even. I, I I don't know how to even interpret that because like it's terrible, but also like maybe Madame Scarlatti gets a chance to survive (laughs) she gets a choice more than her husband did true because that was clearly not what he was asking for when he asked to be spared the red death that's true yeah i mean she doesn't even say anything she's just kind of like staring at everybody like right i'm here i guess (laughs) yeah she said she really does not react a great deal when her husband proposes like selling her off basically Mm -hmm. so maybe this is a good thing and she gets to go back and like rule florence yeah, let's hope. Let's yeah. hope she's running Florence. <laughs> like everybody, you know. The Mask of the Red Death, the aftermath. <laughs> we see, we have a world where, like, Princess Scarlatti is, like, running Florence. I'm here like for the it. the predecessor of the Medici. Right. <laughs> or, or I don't know, maybe, maybe Milan. Maybe the Scarlatti are, like, supposed to be, like, the Swartzos or something. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, like all of these characters who actually do survive and go to Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe even Senorita Escobar, like, she escapes. I hope Senorita Escobar escapes. <laughs> <laughs> and there actually would have been people um, from what is now Spain, actually, probably, in mm. Sicily at this time. Yeah. So, okay. Which I'll, I'll talk more about that later. Okay. They also do, like, this weird cut that took me a minute because he throws the dagger down and it turns into a sword. Yeah. Yeah, there's some continuity errors here and there. And then I think that turns into Gina learning how to fight. Yes. He's being like goaded into learning how to fight because they want to force him and his, I'm just going to say father-in-law for the sake of convenience. Yeah. Fight to the death. Mm -hmm. Honestly, all of the scenes with Gina, I just kind of like mentally checked out of. Yeah. I can't. I watched this last night and I cannot picture Mm -hmm. Gino's face. Yeah. He he looks like every if you ran 
oh god, what's his name? Frankie Frankie Valley? Mm-hmm. Frankie and Annette. If you ran like Frankie mm-hmm. from the Frankie mm-hmm. and Annette movies through like the wash a couple times and then like get got a generic version of it. Yeah. I mean he's got like hair and a face and a nose. And <laughs> it's like there. Yeah. He doesn't have much of a personality either, really. No. My notes like later on in the movie puts like, oh, Gino actually does something on his own volition now. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, huh, that's an interesting change. Yeah. Also his hair bothered me because it was so like 60s Chad. Yeah. Like, at least with Francesca's mullet, you can kind of, like, do something or pretend something or deal with it. This was just, like, guy hair. Right. It wasn't even, like, medieval guy hair. It was, like, high and tight. And, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-hmm. Francesca's very upset about this because murder is wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, is very, and she's all up in arms, like, your god Satan thinks that you have to murder people and that's bad. And then he comes in with a hundred years ago, an, an-, an ancestor of mine was a Christian monk. Apparently not a very good monk, given that it's his mm. ancestor. Uh, but also, <laughs> so, uh, so a failure before. monk, but maybe. Maybe he had a family before and then maybe. like left them all to go live an ascetic life. <laughs> and specifically, apparently become an inquisitor where he tortured a lot of people in the name of God. Yeah. Which is a thing that would have happened. In fact, even mm-hmm. a thing that, you know, would have been the papal inquisition would have been active uh, a, a hundred years or so before this. Yeah. Fucking with some Cathars. Screw you guys. I'm going to go become an inquisitor. <laughs> Bye, family. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sick of all of you. I'm going to go run away and join the inquisition. <laughs> That actually was low-key the plot of something I covered recently. (laughs) (laughs) Or, like, a part of the plot. Like, that was a character's arc. Yeah. It's like, peace, guys. Peace out. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) Prospero wants to save Francesca's soul for Satan, which is an Mm. interesting way of expressing that concept. Mm. Yes, I want to help you save your soul so you can join me in the glories of hell. And there was a line about like velvety darkness. Like yes. In, you know, get out of the blinding light and into the velvety darkness. <laughs> it's like, are we in Phantom like, of actually- the Opera now? <laughs> <laughs> that actually, okay, yeah. Because I was like, that that's like a very evocative imagery that gets very like, because normally you think like, oh, darkness, bad. Oh, but like, like you know, no, velvety darkness mm-hmm. sounds like something you slip into. And it's like, yeah. No, it's, it's very Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, that's true. Maybe this was one of his inspirations, because this is earlier, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. not than the book, obviously, but than the right. like Lloyd Webber musical. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and check. I don't know what he... I've done an episode on it, but we talked more about the Baroqueness of the whole thing and less about the origins of the actual musical. Yeah. But yeah, if, if any of you like Phantom of the Opera, I recommend that episode of our podcast. Yeah. My podcast. On it's very good. It's a good, yeah, it's a good episode. 1986. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was 80s. I mean, if not necessarily, it definitely would have, I think it would have indirectly influenced him yeah. just because of what it, the history of Roger Corman and uh-huh. Vincent Price and I think how that got us into like sexy evil man, tortured sexy evil man who just wants yeah. to love us and write us music and keep us locked away in a basement forever. Yeah. You know, like you do. Yeah. 
just normal things. Just, just regular things. <laughs> just regular things that you expect from men. Um, Juliana is praying to Satan and she binds herself as his handmaiden and betrothed and brands herself with her upside down cross, which I look forward to discussing further mm. later into this episode. She also takes it kind of like a champ. Like, you know, oh, yeah. that seems, yeah. She is chill at branding herself. Mm-hmm. Like that must hurt. Right? And she just like just does it, and it's also like in a in this weird place on her chest where it's not hidden, but it's not like prominent, but it's like there. You could hide it, but she chooses not to. Yeah, <laughs> just tugs her with like blouse a little bit further down to like right. show everybody. Right, she's like, uh, excuse me, excuse me, I'm yeah. the betrothed of Satan. It says so on right. my boob. Well, I think in a later scene, she does actually like have like a flower over it, and then later on, she's like, I am the bride of Satan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's like, is that all it takes to become the bride of Satan is to like say five words in Latin and then like brand yourself with an upside down cross? Unless Satan has a lot of wives. So we're getting into like a sister wife situation. I mean, he might. Yeah. Meanwhile, we also have the continuation of the Hop Toad storyline. He offers to help out Alfredo and maybe switch allegiances and suggests that he wear... A fun costume, an exciting costume, instead of a normal, boring costume, like a Harlequin or a Chinese. (laughs) I noticed nobody in the mask actually is wearing either a Harlequin or a Chinese. I mean, thank God for that. (laughs) There were some stereotypes and racist things that they did manage to avoid in that scene, even though they weren't exactly, they didn't. They didn't completely miss the racism, but they... There's, there's some things we'll have later, but... Yeah. They they don't actually have people in those particular... In, in the Chinese costume for the masquerade. Mm-hmm. Like, I know exactly what it would look like, and I don't want to Yep, see. yep. No, thank you. And Hop Toad suggests that instead, Alfredo come as a great ape, and that it's not just a costume, it's a performance, and that he can basically go and get a taxidermied ape and hang out inside of it is my understanding of what this costume is. I thought it was implied that there was an actual ape costume in the stuffed animal room, but... When he said it's that, that he'll find it in the room of stuffed animals, that's what I took it as, as he's going mm-hmm. to take out the inside part of a taxidermied ape. It's going to smell really bad. <laughs> I mean, that is going to ultimately be the least of Alfredo's problems, but... That's true, but it's like... I mean, this is also kind of a whole thing where, like, I don't want to go as an ape. <laughs> like, it's like, come on, we can do better. We can, we can, we can, let's, let, let's workshop this a bit here. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, why do they have an ape costume anyway? Like, why is it's it hanging out costume. in the... Why is there a stuffed animal? Although when the... the I, <laughs> When he did say the room of stuffed animals, I was not immediately thinking of taxidermy. <laughs> so it was like, does Prospero just have like a toy room? <laughs> and he actually describes the room as another toy that Prospero never bothers with anymore. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. There's like a whole set of possible implications there. And most of them <laughs> I don't want to think about. Mm-hmm. Like, was he collecting beanie babies or was he like- <laughs> Just a room full of beanie babies. <laughs> like you open it up and they just come like tumbling. Or from the taxidermy side, I really want to envision it as like the like quirky, like bad taxidermy <laughs> that yeah. you see. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Brotherhood of the Wolf? No. 
Okay, it's a French horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's like right before the revolution. It's legend called like the Beast of Gévaudan. I don't know French, and I don't. Oh know yeah, okay. Name. I think I've heard yeah. that. Yeah. So it's it's based loosely off of that. Okay. But there is one scene where like there's a big wolf hunt because they're trying to find like the bit they're trying to find the beast. So like they go out and they kill a bunch of poor wolves, mm-hmm. and then somebody like splices together the worst taxidermied wolf. I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> like paints like gives him like green eyes and like blood dripping from his jaws and like sews two bodies together to make him even bigger than he is. Mm. <laughs> it's like I just imagine a room full of just terrible taxidermy like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I would imagine, is that he had, like, a terrible yeah. taxidermy habit. Kind of like the Ed and Lorraine Museum of Possessed Items in the Conjuring movies. Ooh, yeah. Oh, maybe they're, like, satanic taxidermy stuff. Yes. I, maybe the taxidermy room is fun. Yeah. That would have been a great scene in the movie that I bet they didn't have the budget for. Yeah. Like taxidermy animals that came to life. Mm-hmm. Or it was another one of like Juliana's, or not Juliana, Francesca's like nightly wanderings. Yes, she runs into the she like taxidermy up- animals and they start talking to her. Yeah. Or you get like a Snow White scene where she's like running into it and it's all freaky and then she sees it during the day and he's like, no, this is just my raven. Uh-huh. <laughs> just my perfectly normal raven. It doesn't talk. No, of course it doesn't. <laughs> Not at all. But yeah, so Juliana then freshly betrothed to Satan mm-hmm. goes to Francesca and uh, basically tells her that she's about to get married to Satan. I'm going to get rid of all my innocence and isn't that great? My only, the only threat to my plan to be Satan's top lady, I guess, is you. So she gives Francesca the key and uh, tells her that she should grab Gino and her father and escape. I didn't realize the key to immortality is removing all of your innocence. Right. Like, it seems like there'd be a lot more people who are, yeah, it seems like a lot more people would be immortal. (laughs) Right? That's not fair. Yeah, right? Jeez. (laughs) And also, if Juliana is, I guess, like, this, this scene is, like, interesting, but also kind of weird, because why is Francesca a threat because if Juliana's married to Satan, she's like, she's gone, like, she's gone, like, above Prospero's head. You would think. I guess mm-hmm. I'm reading a lot into this. My mm-hmm. understanding is that Prospero's interest in Francesca is demonstrating that he wants to now set her up as the lady who will be, I guess, his girlfriend slash Satan's wife. Okay. Oh, so it's sort of like Satan embodies Prospero. Yes, because she has this line at some point that she says, it's something like, you and I will be man and wife, and also Satan and I will be man and wife, and that's like the same thing. Mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of like a the church is the bridegroom of Christ. Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> but also like you, the nun, are the bridegroom, are the, are the uh, like wife of Christ. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the branding becomes her like, foreskin wedding ring yeah exactly mm-hmm. just normal just very normal <laughs> yeah to- normal things <laughs> yeah just normal normal nun behavior <laughs> I, <laughs> I do really like by the way there is a there's this one saint who's one of my favorites angelo Felipio, mm-hmm. who has this vision where she's talking to jesus and jesus is like i love you more than any woman in the valley of spileto which i feel like is just jesus being like i mean i've got hoes in different area codes but like you're my favorite in this one <laughs> That's so specific. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's so specific that I feel like it's almost insulting. Yeah. (laughs) Like the Valley of Plato isn't even that big. (laughs) (laughs) You are my favorite person in Perth Amboy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's 
show. Thanks. I guess. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're the best nun of Azusa. Right. <laughs> but yeah. So I think she thinks that there is some possibility that, and again, I think I'm reading some into this, that I, this is part interpretation as opposed to text, but that something about Francesca's extreme innocence and uh, her deeply held Christian faith, which, you know, is in the form of wearing a cross and thinking murder is bad, mm-hmm. that this means that basically she is going to be especially kind of tempting for Satan, that if she then is corrupted and falls, then like her in inno- like her extreme innocence makes that more interesting. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of, I'm sorry for referencing this author, but I really liked him when I was 15. I've since grown up. <laughs> we all have in, Yeah. There were, so there was a book by Piers Anthony mm-hmm. and there's this, a line about, like one, I think Death's girlfriend gets captured by a demon, and De- like on his way to rescue her, someone makes the comment about like, well, Satan could ravish her body but leave her soul intact, or he could ravish her soul and leave her body intact, and it's very much like that, but also like eye rollingly that. Yeah, yeah. Purity culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's that this this movie I feel like is like it's interesting, right? Because it's I assume because of the Hays Code, it is mm-hmm. it leaves unsaid a lot of this like heavily implied like mm-hmm. weird sexual stuff, yeah. including some where there are like would be I'm sure very clear consent issues so it is this Mm -hmm. weird like this movie doesn't have any rape but I feel like I can't applaud it for not having rape because I feel like it's trying to have rape without having rape because it can't show rape because of the Hays Code Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it's definitely implied with Prospero's intentions towards Francesca Francesca yes it's almost outright explicit with Alfredo and like everyone, yes. including Esmeralda. Yeah. It's kind of implied with Juliana, especially with her mm-hmm. dream ballet sequence. Yeah. So that sequence, there certainly is like an implied threat of rape in that scene. Mm-hmm. There's also, I feel like, a general implication. I mean, there's questions that are certainly to be raised about how her relationship with Prospero began. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you can't really, you can't quite give it that yeah so yeah i feel like i can't quite applaud it but (laughs) yeah so francesca goes down to the dungeons to go and fetch gino and her father it's you know very scary she runs across people being tortured but she Mm. finds them and they flee they nearly get past the guards because the guards are clearly more interested in playing cards than they are in their job but there's like Mm. the one guard who's like i feel like i should like sort of glance around the corner to see if anything's going on. And because of that, they are ultimately... They caught, they, they catch them, so they have to fight Gino mm-hmm. and Ludovico, kill three of the guards, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, everything with Gino I kind of zoned out on. They run up to the battlements where they have been told by Juliana that there's a guard there who has agreed that he'll help them, but then they tap him on the shoulder and he turns around and surprise, it's Prospero. Who apparently has the time to go cosplaying as a soldier on his own battlements. It's also like, how did he find this out? When did he find this? I, I don't know. Yeah. I do like the fact that Juliana was sincere. Yeah. I want you to leave so I can mm-hmm. 
fuck Satan and Prospero. Yeah, and leave <laughs> safely. I want I, yeah. like, you're here. I don't have a problem with you. Yeah, like they're not pitting them against each other. It's like she's like, right. you know what? Here, I'm gonna help you get out so you cannot be in my hair. Mm-hmm. She genuinely meant it, and it was like Prospero who stops them. Yeah, and like you want to leave. I want you to go. I don't have anything against you. I'm not just going to try and kill you, which would have been another, in some ways, kind of obvious route that this could have gone, right? Is that she would have tried to kill Mm -hmm. her, but that she just genuinely wants her to be not here. So why don't, you know, I give you what you want, which is to leave with your family anyway. Mm -hmm. It almost makes up for the fact that I don't think this movie passes the Bechdel test. I don't think it does, because I think that is the scene that really had, that really is the scene that has a conversation between mm-hmm. two women, and I think Satan counts as a man for the purposes yeah, of the Yeah, I was going to say, they talk <laughs> about Satan, Prospero, and Gino. Yeah, so, I mean, unless you count the, like, two-line exchange where she's like, what's that on your boob? <laughs> But even then, doesn't she say, like, this is the mark of Satan? I've yeah, she says that pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. The, the immortality, you know, and there's the immortality line. But, like, Satan and Prospero are really so clearly, and Gino are really so clearly, like, suffused mm-hmm. as the context of this scene that I don't think we can count right. it. Too bad. Oh, well. At this point, because they, Gino and Gino and Ludovico have killed three people, and according to your religion, that is a great sin. Which I just, I, I just love. I just love like the snarkiness of Prospero <laughs> about Christianity. Like that was a good line. Because they refuse to fight, he puts down five daggers and one of the dagger is poisoned. And they mm. each have to scratch themselves in the arm and uh, whoever gets the poisoned dagger is going to die. Yeah, which seems, I guess that's one way of doing it. It happens in the middle of dinner. Yeah, yeah, this is just this is just dinner entertainment. That last last night we had the dwarves and tonight we have uh, death. It's like, you know, like whenever you go to medieval times, you get yeah. your lecture about how they didn't use forks and then you watch somebody die. Yeah, you just have like the Russian roulette basically. Like that's just what like that's <laughs> what this is. It's just a medieval Russian roulette. Yeah, good point. I also love how he sets it up by talking about the people at dinner and like each time he says something he like throws a dagger on the table and then he brings them out like he has to he can't just like say it he has to like monologue everything (laughs) is a performance with prospero yes and i mean applause for making it that dramatic Mm mm-hmm I mean, he's bringing these people here to, like, maybe live there for a while. He's got to keep them entertained. Mm -hmm. If COVID is any suggestion, like, they're Mm going to be there for a minute. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, the... The Black Death was uh, was an issue for uh, certainly, you know, I mean, the first kind of like big wave of it was, you know, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. The audio v- drama that I've heard of it, they use magic to keep the death, the Red Death out. Mm-hmm. This one, it just seems they're just using a locked door. Yes. It's like everybody, everybody had to like do their like Red Death test before they came in. Yeah. And now we assume that everybody's okay. Right. And we can't trust Scarlatti because we don't trust his like, we know. Yeah. We saw his medieval Twitter account and we know that he wasn't quarantining he was like wandering around unmasked mm-hmm. serves him right yeah <laughs> by scarlatti <laughs> <laughs> they like have this you know dramatic scene where they're you know scratching each other there's a woman who's like leisurely in a leisurely manner feeding her partner a grape <laughs> escobar shows up and is just like aggressively eating a like hunk of bread i love her i love her yeah <laughs> shouldn't say any words but we love her she's like our queen escobar 
I think what happened, because I honestly sort of only half paid attention to which man was which, I think that there was one dagger left and it should have been Gino's and then Ludovico took it so that he would die instead. He took it to stab Prospero. Right, yeah. Oh, yes, right. He tried to stab Prospero and then Prospero stabs him with a sword, which is, we can do because it's longer than a dagger. Yeah. He then tells Gino that he'll set him free, but, you know, send him out to wander the forest and probably die of the Red Death. And Francesca asks to go with him, but he obviously says no Mm. and then sends them all to go get ready for the party. At this point, it's just kind of like, it's like Francesca, like, really? You could. It's like, you know, you gotta try. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess she wants to give it a shot. Yeah. But Daddy, I love him. <laughs> I'm not a child. <laughs> like, do you know how to subsistence farm? Because you're going to be doing a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, I I hope you're going to get over that not slaughtering animals thing sometime soon. Because oh, yeah. uh, that chicken needs killing. Yeah. Back on the farm. Mm-hmm. And you haven't imported yeah. potatoes yet, so it's going to be hard to, like, do a... Mm-hmm. Gino in the forest runs into the Red Death, who's chilling with his tarot cards, and uh, the Red Death tells him that love is the only weapon that he can use against Prospero, and Gino has a whole dumb speech about how afraid he is. Gino. Mm. Uh, this, this scene was very boring, yeah. except for the Red Death. Yeah, though the card that he pulls out, I couldn't see it clearly, but the one that he shows to Gino, I thought was the judgment card. Just from like the flash that you yeah. can see when like you, when like, cause he never, sh- they never show it at the audience, but like there right. was a, fl- it was, it looked like it was either the judgment or the temperance card. Mm-hmm. What little I know implies that like we, the tarot deck that we know today, cause they were very much using like a rider weight deck is right. not, would not have been in vogue and would probably have just been playing cards. Yeah, what we that would makes view sense. as playing cards. Yeah, yeah, because they often would have, like, various other things at them. And isn't that what, like, the suits and tarot cards, like, the because there's, I like, the so. seven of wands and whatnot, like, weren't those yeah. originally just, like, playing card suits? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, like, the minor arcana became, like, playing cards and was mm-hmm. sort of, you would use, you could either, like, do divination and or party games like card games. And it wasn't until later that we started getting like the major arcana. Mm, in. Mm-hmm. So like the death and the priestess and the, yeah. all of that, the magician and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Alfredo. Then uh, we see Alfredo dressed up in his like ape slash Chewbacca costume. They gave no fucks with this costume because it was clearly <laughs> like a plastic mask. This absolutely was, they went to the Halloween store and bought an ape yes. costume. Yes. <laughs> like, he has like a plastic mask with an elastic band and it's made out of faux fur and mm-hmm. it's like yeah. Yep. Hot Toad is acting as his keeper as part of mm-hmm. his costume. Yeah. Gino meanwhile runs into the villagers basically bring out your dead procession as they are en route from the castle to now beg forgiveness from Prospero. That seems a little misguided in a way. I don't know. Like because they basically say, like, like, the entire town is dead. We are the only survivors. We are going to go beg forgiveness from the prince. And it's like, and, and do what? What's that going to get you? Right. I mean, I assume they just want him to let them into the castle. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, uh-uh. You're not going to do that showing up with your, like, pile of plague corpses? He's not going right. to let you the fuck in? Yeah. That's when you, like, no, look, here's the proof that we've quarantined for two weeks. Mm-hmm. We have no plague corpses on us. <laughs> 
Yeah, you don't show up with your pile of plague corpses <laughs> and be like, let us in. These are our friends and they're dead. We're fine, we promise. We're not, I'm totally okay. We're not carrying the plague. We're not. I'm not going to no. give you the plague, I swear. Yeah. Juliana, meanwhile, does her last satanic rite. She gets these various dancing attackers, which are a series of uncomfortable racial stereotypes. Yes. The first one being like an Aztec priest mm-hmm. person. She was like, why? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't know. I don't have an answer to that one. I mean, I guess Satan knows no borders. And so mm-hmm. Satan, you know, could still be friends with them, even if they're not yet, no, their existence is not yet known to Europeans. Mm. Yeah. But I don't, I mean, it's basically a series of warriors, but it's all warriors from like non-white cultures. Like there's also somebody who mm. I think is supposed to be Muslim based on the clothing. Oh, is that? Okay. I wasn't and, sure if yeah. that was supposed to be like... Because he was also dressed a little, he was dressed a little bit the way that a lot of modern day evangelicals will dress like Old Testament priests. And I was like, is he supposed to be like a shaman, a shaman, like some random Islamic person? Or is he supposed to be like Old Testament Jewish guy? Yeah, my guess based on just Mm. the others was Islamic. And then there was also Mm. the guy who was like, I think was sort of supposed to be Japan, like a Japanese warrior or something. And it's like, um, okay, so Satan's demons that he sends to harass his follower are just a bunch of non-white people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. We're all dancing. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of just a bunch of dancing non-white people. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Cool. Can't be a demon cool. without three years of tap ballet and jazz. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the demon handbook. Mm-hmm. There They're are auditions. Like, you know, they have dance auditions. Yeah, they have <laughs> demon dance auditions. So you think you can sing? <laughs> this is where I also wonder if there is if. Juliana did have a similar backstory to Francesca because like when you first see her, she's running around and like her hair's down and she's in a white nightgown and she seems to be running from something. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if she was like a pure young maiden who was kidnapped by Prospero. And then she was like, you know what? I'm going to run with this. Yeah. That's my guess is that she, Mm. yeah, is that that's her situation, which which, of course, then, like, you know, it kind of raises the, like, okay, so, Francesca, like, your path is maybe not great yeah. with this whole situation. Yeah. So, she awakens, she announces, you know, she's passed the test, she's betrothed of the devil now. <laughs> she passed the test. She shall remain Galadriel and diminish and go into the West. <laughs> Galadriel, who passed that test, but who clearly passed the test with, like, a C. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a whole that that mm. there are two scenes that I have an issue with in the Peter Jackson movies, and it's that, and then later on the Aowen scene, mm. just because I feel like there is a grandiosity and uh, deeper meaning of them that I don't think Jackson got quite right. Uh huh. So, like with the Jackson Galadriel, she's like, like, I will be a great queen, and I think that's probably a little bit better than somebody who, or not better. It's probably more dramatic than somebody mm-hmm. who already knows what their choice is. Yeah. And I think Tolkien Galadriel, I could, I could go on to a whole thing about Tolkien. 
Tolkien Galadriel, especially if you've read The Silmarillion, has already made that decision and has yeah. already like done those things. It's like she's like, you're gonna give no, th- no, no, thanks, kid. I'm gonna, I'm going. I'm, I'm good. I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> but Jackson Galadriel is very tempted. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, as I said, she passes the test. The it's system. it's a C. It's a C mm-hmm. on that test. Yeah. <laughs> She's walking through the assorted colorful rooms and having a conversation with the disembodied voice of Prospero about their whole situation with mm. their like menage a trois with the devil, mm-hmm. which is how I am interpreting this relationship. And then she straight up gets murdered by a falcon. Mm-hmm. As you do. Yeah. It was fascinating that they have like this giant axe swinging there. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, oh, is she going to, yeah, I'm like, oh, is she going to get killed by that? And then it's like, no, the Falcon's just going to show up and like peck her to death. Yeah. Although I really like this idea that she and Satan are in some sort of like triad with Prospero. Uh-huh. So it becomes sort of the two of them vying for his attention, yeah. which is also why she doesn't really care about Francesca that much. She's like, mm-hmm. eh, whatever, you're not, <laughs> you're not really a part of this. Yeah. Prospero's girlfriend is not a part of this. <laughs> right, yeah, it's like, okay, like, Prospero, you can have your girlfriend. I don't really care, but she's not a part of our whole situation with Satan. Yeah. And I think, like, that's the only reason she's concerned about Francesca is that she's worried that Prospero mm-hmm. wants to bring her into their whole thing with Satan. Right, so it becomes sort of like a, she. she's not interested in expanding it out into a polycule. She's like, no, this is yeah. a triad, and, like, you can have this your thing enough. on the side, but I'm not turning this into, like, a quartet. Right. Like, we're, we're good. This is sufficient at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, every that's fair. That's a reasonable decision mm-hmm. on her part. Yeah, because she's simultaneously, she's like, I'm stronger in the devil's favor than you are. But then she's like, we're going to live as man and wife on earth. And also, I'm Satan's wife. And it's and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, yeah. great. I Your love is beautiful until you get mm-hmm. murdered by the falcon. <laughs> right. At which point, uh, Prospero just goes, don't mourn for Juliana. We should celebrate. She's just married a friend of mine. Which does kind of imply that that she actually did get her wish. Yeah, right? That she is Mm -hmm. in hell ruling with Satan after she Mm -hmm. in the world gets murdered by a falcon, I guess. Yeah. I mean, maybe she doesn't get to have temporal power, but she's there. Queen of hell. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. It's a hard way to get through there, but yeah, go for it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would take that, I guess. (laughs) 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 The villagers now arrive to beg for mercy. Uh, the guard's basically like, yeah, call Prospero. He's going to think this is hilarious. <laughs> Which is about right. And I also have Gino's like, no, we can't grovel. And then he like grabs this kid and starts to walk away with this kid. And the father is like, ah, that's my kid. You can't just take my kid and fucking leave. It was like, I don't know how into how pop culture you are, but do you remember about two, three years ago on Instagram Live, Lindsay Lohan tried to kidnap these like two Russian children? Yes! <laughs> yeah. I think he just like picks up the kid. It's not like, he just like, all right, all right, I'm taking the kid, bye. Just, no, that's, that's <laughs> John's like, uh, excuse me? Excuse me? Not without my daughter. <laughs> They're like, yeah, this one's afraid of Prospero more than the Red Death. And, you know, he's right to be because Prospero immediately then shoots all of them except the kid. Yeah. yeah he's like, leave the kid, which is a little like, I don't know what's going on, but I hope it's not bad. Again, this is definitely my interpretation as opposed to something mm-hmm. directly stated in the film. But mm-hmm. I think that Prospero's project 
of uh, turning the innocent to the devil is maybe a wider one and that he is in that sense just attracted to innocence and so it's like mm-hmm. when like a baby falls in his lap he's like yeah cool i'm gonna make this baby a little satanist yeah it's gonna it be our little satanist right. kid yeah maybe he would have just like adopted the kid and just raised the kid as a satanist right him and juliana and satan yeah as their parental triad and yeah. little baby i don't know if she has a name she's just like the little girl. Yeah, no, she does not, that child does not have a name. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that was the idea. Living in bliss in the castle. Yeah. Back at the party, Prospera yeah. starts throwing jewels out to people who are, you know, running on the ground, scrambling for all of the jewels, and he's sort of making fun of them. And once again, the, like, wow, pseudo-Islamic costumes <laughs> that he's got this, like, black burnoose situation happening, and she mm. has, like, a face veil... Yeah. But like the hot, like kind of like the like hot face veil where you can still see her face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, 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 there's definitely, he's giving a very Lawrence of Arabia vibe mm-hmm. and she, and other people, like half, half of the, the mask we'll see later on have like a similar Arabian nights look. To yeah. Them, which is weird. At yeah. Best. It's this weird uh, sort of general exoticization but there is this really uncomfortable vibe of it given that it is then functionally associating islam in the middle east with satan yeah yeah which isn't great true and i mean there is a whole thing of victorian men like i mean how many stories are there of like scrappy young student boy mm-hmm. in the Victorian time and ye Victorian times is given like an unexpurgated copy of the Arabian nights. And it's like, Oh my God, they have sex. Yeah. And there's definitely like a fetishization that's continuing mm-hmm. on with this. Yeah. That goes weird. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it is a very weird overall mm-hmm. uh, vibe. Francesca also is weirdly chill about mm-hmm. the fact that he murdered every survivor from her village mm-hmm. basically she's like oh that wasn't very nice mm-hmm. and he's like don't worry about it yeah she's just kind of like i mean she's gets very chill she's like yeah yeah it's fine look what can i say although we get to it later where she actually does come out and say look i don't care anymore <laughs> right but it's also just this weird she's like she's like a tiny bit disappointed in him mm-hmm. it's like this is <laughs> Everybody you've known your entire life. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just disappointed, but also, like, I'm disappointed on the level of, like, you really should have told me that you stole this stick of gum from my purse. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's wrong. I mean, she has, she, Francesca has no more fucks to give. Yeah. Gina, meanwhile, has found some courage. She scales the walls of the castle, and uh, the Mm. Red Death greets him and says, yeah, stay. Hang out here. I'll send you Francesca. You don't have to do anything. I know you can't anyway. Don't worry about it. At this point in time, it's like, why is he even in this? Why is he a character? (laughs) I feel like he's deeply unnecessary. They needed to pad out the movie and also make sure that we know that Francesca will end up with a man and not something horrible like being a single woman. Right. How awful. It's the worst possible fate. Worst thing. Worst. (laughs) We then get back to Hot Toad who tells Esmeralda, don't come to the mask. We're going to leave after that. We're doing a whole thing. Mm. What this thing is, apparently, is that he uh, brings in, first of all, Alfredo is the ape who entertainingly attempts to rape women. 
I guess they do have that one bit of attempted rape, but, like, it doesn't count because it's, like, an ape attacking people, sort of. But it also looks like Yeah, and it's very... The threat of violence towards women as a joke. Yes. And it's weird because it is clearly a... It is clearly a threat of violence, but everybody, including the women, seems to find it sort of funny, and it's all really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that gets resolved by Hot Toad uh, tying him up and setting him on fire. <laughs> he ties him up to the chandelier and <laughs> manages to lift the chandelier by himself and then, like, douses him with brandy <laughs> and sets him on fire. And everyone's pretty chill about this, too. They're like... Yes! Even when they, re- like, at first they're like, oh, they're doing their whole laughing thing of, like, this is so hysterical. But then, like, they're still just kind of like, oh, this is a, this is a little awkward. Yeah, that's basically the reaction. It's not horror. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. oh, I thought this was just a very funny joke. And now it's like, oh, I feel like we, like, wandered into something that, like, I didn't want to be here for this part. Yeah, you're harshing my buzz, man. Yeah, it's like this. This this one. This part isn't fun. I don't like this part of the mm-hmm. joke. Like it's not. It's not funny. Yeah. I don't really care that you've just murdered this person. I mean, not that I really care that much either, because Alfredo's trash. Yeah. But everybody's very chill. It's so laid back that no one. Can, yeah. Yeah, and this is where Francesca is basically like Prospero. I think says, "I see you no longer turn away from the cruelties of life," and she's just like, "Yeah, no, I I got no fucks left to give." Right. Although in this case, like he. Alfredo has already like accosted her, so I yeah, mean, it's very. It could very easily be that she doesn't see this as a cruelty. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, she could be basically like, mm, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. if it had he's to happen friend, to somebody, mine. yeah, if it had to happen yeah. to somebody, like, I mean, yeah, he's he's a perfectly fine person to set on fire if you're going to set a person on fire. <laughs> <laughs> had to be one. At least it was him. Seems seems reasonable. And not Senorita Escobar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, because Senorita Escobar is great. I'm sure everyone would be yeah. very upset if he set Senorita Escobar on fire. She's exactly. Awesome. Exactly. As he's, you know, getting over the joke and rewarding Hot Toad for it, which, okay. <laughs> I, do, I do love that. He's like, somebody find Hop Toad and give him five gold pieces. <laughs> he's like, that was actually pretty funny. <laughs> Leaning into that Satanist thing. You know, I wasn't sure where this, like, bit was going for a little bit, but I think I've come around on it. Yeah. <laughs> Give him five gold pieces. Good improv. <laughs> it's better than the last one. Yeah. And then he sees somebody in red and chases after him, dragging poor Francesca with him. What I did find funny about that is, like, they, they show an aerial shot. Mm-hmm. I guess Prospero meant, like, not all red because somebody's wearing <laughs> yes. a red hat. <laughs> And somebody's wearing a red vest and someone else's sleeves are red. Uh-huh. And <laughs> there was a lot of red in the scene is what I'm saying. Yeah, every yeah, there's plenty of red. So yeah, the aerial shot, like he kind of stands out, but he doesn't stand out that much because there is mm-hmm. other red in the room in the in the room. Mm-hmm. They end up in I think it was in the purple room or the black room. I think it's the black room. It is the black room. Yeah, that they have their conversation and Red Death is all like, you don't recognize me, and Prosper is like Bernelli, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, dude, uh. And then he's like, Satan? Buddy? Buddy old pal? <laughs> Satan? <laughs> and I also have to say, the mask that the Red Death is wearing, because <laughs> it has like this fringe over his mouth, <laughs> and he's all red, looks like, I forget the character's name, Zoidberg, is that yes! it? The, the squid <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, blow in the wind when his when he talks because of his breath. So, like, they're wiggling in front of his face. <laughs> it's great. 
We go back to the party. At this point, uh, Red Death, uh, no, Mr. Red Death, <laughs> Mr. Red Death, <laughs> Mr. Red Death <laughs> announces that it's time for a new dance, the Dance of Death, and basically just touches people, and as he touches them or, like, sweeps his cloak over them, I'm doing mm. a whole big sweeping motion because, of course, this is a thing that the listeners can see. Exactly. He, like, their faces all go red and they're dead instantaneously, but still dancing. Dancing. In the, like, is dance macabre thing of red the dancing skeletons. Zombies. Yes. Prospero is like, this is great. Satan's going to love this one. I invited them all to my house, all my good friends, and I told them they would be safe. They would be safe. But now they're all dead. This is hilarious. Satan's going to love it. Right? Right, buddy? Right? <laughs> Not familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at this point, he's kind of starting to get it. He asks that Francesca be spared, which is interesting, I think, mm-hmm. that he mm-hmm. does have some amount of affection for her. Yeah. When she goes to kiss his cheek, I thought this was going in a different direction. Yeah. That did not feel was warranted. No. I'm glad it, that it was just a cheek kiss, which I still yes. think was maybe um, more than he deserves entirely from mm-hmm. her. And also like that she looks back at him as she's leaving. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that was all it was, at least. Yeah. I do think that maybe she like she's still processing it all because like five minutes ago she was ready to be out like, look. Fine, I'll join you in I'll your... i your Satan thing, God. Yeah, I'll join you in your dark dance of the satanic forces, fine. And now she's, like, actually getting to, like, leave. And yeah. she's still kind of, like... And, and it's because of him, and not that that's... Because mm-hmm. she's there because of him, but it's, it's like... I mean, it's, it's the end of Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, and I think she's still processing the whole... <laughs> the... the She's still processing the, the 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 feeling of it all. It hasn't yeah. fully hit her. Yeah, she's she's a bit shell shocked, and she. I, mean, I think she does like. She probably has PTSD. Yeah, she's seen a lot of like people murdered be... in front of her. I think it's legit for her to have mm-hmm. PTSD. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Gino's not going to be empathetic at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like he's not going to be like a really supportive, emotionally attentive partner for some reason. I I don't know. Yeah. I'm just I just that's just the vibe. I'm not that's just not the vibe I'm getting from uh, from Gino here. That's why I hope she ends up hanging out with Pop Toad and Esmeralda because I think those yeah. two will be able to empathize. Yeah, like he'll know what this shit is like. Mm-hmm. So Prospero then. Uh, assumes still that he's good because he thinks that death is a servant of Satan and mm. that he made a pact with Satan. And death tells him, uh, yeah, no, I don't have a master and Satan might rule, but he doesn't rule alone, buddy. Which is very, but it's not begs the question, but it's like, there's something there where like, they're not saying no, but they're not saying yes. Yeah, so it's not that the Satanism thing is a fraud exactly. It's almost this weird, God, as far as we know, is still indeed dead, or maybe, or something. But that mm-hmm. there is perhaps this, like, you know, in the same way that there, you know, was sort of, like, ideas of dualism running around, that, you know, mm-hmm. there that the universe is ruled by God and by Satan. Maybe it's yeah. that the universe is ruled by God and death and maybe and a few other deaths and maybe there's somebody else running around yeah like like they don't ever contradict what anybody says they're just yeah. like yeah we're we're dead like i'm death yeah like i do my own thing sorry mm-hmm. sorry i'm on the clock <laughs> yeah and he finally reveals his face and it's vincent price but he's red now oh no <laughs> 
Kiki's trying to flee. There's this whole kind of very like sort of dramatic dance scene as he's uh, mm-hmm. kind of fleeing and he's through the going through the crowd and the crowd is kind of grabbing at him. And every time he gets to the edge of the crowd, he's faced again with the Red Death. Then finally, as everybody collapses around him, he tries to flee through his weirdly colored rooms. And once again, finds death, who says, why should you be afraid to die? Your soul has been dead a long time. Which, him running through the room, because it's never shown that there is an exit in the black room, Mm -hmm. does make me think of Scream, where she talks about, like, how the lead character is always running up the stairs when they should be running out the door. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's very, like, and Francesca has done that, too, right? And with Prospero... Again, I'm completely, this is my interpretation, which is mm-hmm. a stretch, arguably. My theory is mm-hmm. that he's, like, fleeing, he's trying to flee to Satan, and he wants Satan to, like, stick that, up for yeah, him. Yeah, that makes sense. And, like, there has, there we, we have seen that there are things that happen in the Black Room, mm-hmm. and that there is some sort of satanic power that has been able to be affected in the mm-hmm. Black Room. So, yeah, that does make sense that he could be. Yeah, that like, this is my and Satan's domain, and maybe if I get mm. to my and Satan's domain, we'll be able to mm. defeat death, but... My boyfriend no. will stick up for me. Yeah. But, no, it doesn't He does not. Way. Yeah. He dies, and we see Red Death is playing cards with the kid, and then mm. Greed greets Black Death, and Yellow Death, and White <laughs> Death, and Blue Death. So many deaths! Death comes in all the colors of the rainbow! When it was just so at first, so it was Red Death, and the Black Death comes in, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's interesting. They're gonna like, like tie it into the Black Death." Yeah, and then they bring in yellow and white, and at first I was like, "Are they trying to do like a four humors thing?" Right, and then I was like, "Okay, you like is that like yellow fever?" And then they just kept yeah. coming. Right, then there was like blue and purple and like at the end, there's a whole rainbow of deaths. Right, it kind of implies that like. There are other stories of these different deaths. So it's sort of, you know, like the garden party of the aubergine death <laughs> and the, the church luncheon of the Viridian death or the rave of the chartreuse <laughs> death. Yeah, exactly. Different events for different things. And there's a death for every color. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a death for all of us. The. Uh-huh. Sunday afternoon binge washing session of the Ecru Death. <laughs> like, <laughs> Man, that's kind of like especially dark. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're gonna watch. You know, we're gonna watch Squid Game, and then let me take you. Hi. Maybe maybe that's the one for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they all walk. They all walk off in like a cue order so like black leads them and then it's purple and then it's blue and they progressively it's straight up like roy g biv like yeah (laughs) the roy g biv of death (laughs) all of a sudden we're like in a rainbow bright episode (laughs) 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 and yeah and we get some comments at the end Uh, we get the Mm -hmm. latin seek transit gloria mundi thus pass the glories of the world into all of these assorted colorful deaths and also the line that is from the Edgar Allan Poe short story, which is, And darkness and decay and the Red Death held a limitable di- dominion over all. Mm. Everybody's dead. Everyone's dead. Except for the six people that are mentioned. Yes. Which was also like, there's six people mentioned, so he's like, The boy and the girl, the dwarf and the dancing child. Who is that? The little kid. The little kid and an old man who is in the village whose story is not told here and is never mentioned <laughs> and we haven't seen before and we won't ever see again. Don't worry about it. Apparently some guy just like stayed in the village and was like, yeah, I'm fine. 
go. Go to the castle. I'm good here. I'm good. Right. And the Black Death is like, uh, I had my own movie. I, I was in yeah. the Seventh Seal while all this was happening. I think he even says, like, he came from Cathay. And I'm like, yeah. okay. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. How was that? Did you? Yeah. Yeah. But I love that, like, specifically the Black Death yeah. character is like, I just came from Cathay and nobody else is like... Like, I have come from across the sea, or they're just like, yeah, there was, like, I'm tired. Like, one of them, actually, one of them even says, I'm tired. I know, it's like, I'm so fucking busy, I had to kill so many fucking people. (laughs) So I was hard. Is it break time yet? Ugh. (laughs) To punch out. (laughs) But yeah, and the, like, Black Death coming from Cafe is uh, legit, actually, kind of, in that Mm -hmm. the Black Death does come, does come on, like, trade routes from the east. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair, Black Death. And that's why I thought it was cool to see Black Death talking about yeah. from Cathay. And then they bring in, like, the rest of the colors. And I'm like, right. oh, well, that, that, was, that was quick. Right. It's like, there's so many. What do they all, do they all do? <laughs> right. It's like, not to go back to Tolkien, but, like, the, the blue wizards that are not right. mentioned in this film. <laughs> it's like, don't worry about it. I'm like, I, I'm like, I wouldn't know what Purple Death does. Yeah. It might be a C.S. Lewis where Aslan tells us, like, it's not us to, up to us to tell the stories of the living or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something yeah. weird along those lines. Like, this isn't this isn't your story. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't, it's like, don't worry. Isn't... There were seven other movies that you missed, but that's fine. <laughs> They're all individually contained. It's fine. This one was You're just chilling in, like, the cask of Amontillado, making sure that guy didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There was, you know, that guy brought down a house. Yeah. We're all good. We're this here. person is in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a touchy subject now. <laughs> I've been watching and it's like a train wreck. I still can't believe that show is on. Still on. I was like. Yeah. No. Um, as I said, I started watching like recently and now I'm mm. on the most recent season. And as I said, it's just this horrible wow. train wreck that I can't look away from. Mm-hmm fascinating yeah i've never seen an episode i mainly know that one of the women from the early seasons also played the lady of the lake on broadway in spam a lot interesting the lady of the lake and her laker girls yes that was fun oh i wonder who that is i'll have to look that up i forget her name i could have told you like a couple days ago but now i can't remember her name at all it's interesting but also Mm -hmm. sort of awful (laughs) yeah sounds about right so anyway, with uh, the, you know, the, related to the Black Death, I can, that can <laughs> take us into the Vera at Falso, where we can mm-hmm. talk about some things that the film got right and wrong. I will just say briefly about the Black Death that I do, that, that it is a, a an accurate note that this was a thing that happened during the Black Death, that the wealthy attempted to flee the plague by going from the city to their fancy country estates. We also know this did not always necessarily work. <laughs> that, uh, in fact, uh, and in fact, people at the time knew that it didn't necessarily work. Boccaccio's Decameron is actually the story of literally a group of people who go out to their country estate to hang out and escape the plague and have a fun time telling stories. In the introduction, he's Boccaccio is kind of listing the different reactions essentially that people had to the mm. plague, and he's like. Some people are just like, uh, you know, uh, tried to like stay really healthy and some people went and tried to run away and hide from the plague and some people were just like, fuck it, I'm going to party. And, you know, mm-hmm. none of these were foolproof ways to uh, not die from the Black Death, it turns out. Basically, yeah. I mean, we still don't know how to wash our hands, so I mean. Right, or wear a mask I- correctly. <laughs> <sighs> 
I see people on the, because uh, I live in New York, I see people on the subway and I'm just like, what? Why? How? Yeah. It's been a year and a half. You should know that it goes over your nose. Your nose, which study finds is actually connected to your lungs. Who knew? <sighs> Shocking. Based on what some people have done, I really wonder if like miasma theory is still like mm-hmm. valid. Not valid as in like. Yeah. And so it's interesting that like I saw something about that, that I was, that I basically was like, you know, I mean, when we think about the extent to which these things are airborne, like the miasma, mm-hmm. the miasma theory while not exactly right, was also like closer to being on the right track than it's maybe given credit for. Yeah. But although I was more meaning in the sense of people believing miasma theory, mm, like, yeah. oh, if I just don't breathe in the dirty air in this spot, then I'll be okay. Right. Yeah. If I like hold my nose and you know, it's fine. Right. Like that's enough. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter that like my hands are dirty and I just brush my eye. Right. So I think this is an interesting representation of both the fact that this was a real way that the wealthy attempted to escape the plague and also the Mm -hmm. fact that it did not work necessarily. Yeah. Dwarf jesters were a whole thing, somewhat Mm -hmm. more in the early modern period than in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a uh, pretty fucked up thing that happened is that that was often basically how people reacted to uh, little people was a attempt. They basically forced them to like become entertainers. Mm-hmm. So what Esmeralda is doing, she's very clearly doing a ballet and she's even wearing ballet mm-hmm. slippers like yeah. leather with a suede sole. Her moves and her arm movements are, are they are modern ballet. And the thing is, is that that form of dance didn't really get codified until I don't think there were, I don't think people would dance in a way that you would rec- we would recognize as ballet until mm-hmm. we start getting to Louis the 14th okay. and even then it didn't really get it didn't get really get solidified into the modern trappings until the 19th century mm-hmm. like there were definitely things that were you would start seeing our movements and partnering yeah. and stuff like that but the style that she is doing is very much not until you would not see that until like yeah. the 19th century. Yeah. I'm glad that she was not wearing point shoes. Cause I would have mm. really pitched a fit. <laughs> point shoes are a very modern convention, mm-hmm. but from what I do know of dance in the middle ages, cause we also get to, into this with like the masquerade scene. Partner dancing is not a thing or at least right. partner dancing in like a, waltz style right yeah it's not a thing it's a lot more line or circles Mm -hmm. in fact like to go in with a little bit of the islamophobia slash philia right like i am a i do remember learning a dance that was taught as a medieval dance from a medieval historian but i also don't remember i this was at like a thing and i don't know how accurate it truly truly was as opposed to it was not in a classroom setting i'll basically say that and I will say, I do not know anything about dance, either yeah. medieval or modern. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. But one thing that, it, that the, the teacher was referring to is that in bringing back a lot of the, coming back from the Crusades, you had a lot mm-hmm. of things coming in, but then right. sort of being filtered through different people. Uh-huh. So there was this one dance of like people in a circle, and they would kind of be doing like a circle dance, like individual people mm-hmm. doing the same moves. And then at a specific point in the dance everybody's hands kind of go up and then everybody moves towards the center mm-hmm. with their arms up. Cause it's supposed to mimic what they think was happening with a lot of, I guess the early forms of rock sharky, which is middle Eastern dancing. Mm, okay. Since this is a, not a visual medium, my hands are up in like almost <laughs> in a Vita pose and moving in 
the only thing I can really think of, and I apologize for this, is like the stereotypical like uh, Hava Nagila. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it was supposed to be that, like, you moved in towards the center. Like, everybody's in a circle, and they all kind of move into the center with their arms up. Yeah. Going back and forth, mm-hmm. and they move back, and they go yeah, back into, like, the... it does kind of sound like a hora. Yeah. The, 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 the circle <laughs> yeah. dance. Yeah. But it was still individuals repeating patterns in yeah. a large formation. Right. As opposed to the much more kind of chaotic individual dancing that yeah. we see here. Yeah. Um, and same thing with, like, a lot of the sort of more courtly formal dances. Even well up until, like, the Regency, mm-hmm. it was still very... Dancing in a courtly manner was still segmented patterns of people, and you kind of had to know all of them. Very similar to, like, English country dancing, or if anybody's ever done Irish step dancing mm-hmm. and done, like, the group numbers. Like, that type of... Everybody knows the steps. There's repeated steps, and while you might have a partner, there's still a lot of passing partners and yeah. going forth and making geometric shapes with all your bodies. So yeah. there was not this like dancing with the stars, ballroom dancing right. <laughs> style ballet move. And interestingly, in medieval images of the danse macabre, of these kind of dancing mm-hmm. skeletons, essentially, that were supposed to be a kind of reminiscence on death and how it comes for everybody, etc., they are also actually tend to be depicted, I believe, in either a row or a circle. Yeah. So even even when you're dead, that's how you dance. Right. So I think the that's kind of the, the big thing that stuck out with me with the dancing was that mm-hmm. it was very, like, ballet from the 60s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not really anything else. Yeah. Which is fine. This yeah. movie made, gave no fucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the visual culture similarly, like, nothing about those weird single-color rooms looks even slightly mm-hmm. medieval. The pendulum clock, which is featured prominently, was not invented until the 17th century. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that actually fits best is the weird, like, altar, like, altar piece thing that's happening, which, act, which at least mm-hmm. looks stylistically right, even though, again, it's like, why does the Satanist have this? Yeah. And then there are these weird Islamic elements. So there's a lot of this uh, kind of molding and and, um, designs that uh, are very kind of reminiscent of the kind of thing that you see in molding and stucco work in Islamic art. These kind of aniconic patternings of uh, kind of floral motifs or vegetal motifs Mm -hmm. in real Islamic art. Sometimes it also includes uh, Arabic calligraphy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of thought that made sense. It made sense in a way that I don't think the the directors and costume designers and people intended. Right. Exactly. Because so, yeah. So our one geographical reference, right, is that it mentions Catania. And so presumably Mm. we are in Sicily. And Mm. Sicily was under Muslim rule, parts at least from the 9th until the 11th century. Although, you know, it didn't transfer to Norman rule all at once. It was sort of over a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. But that there was a continuation of this Islamic visual influence. And you really see in a lot of uh, Norman Sicilian art in particular, that it's blending Western, that is blending Western artistic and visual styles with the Byzantine ones and with Islamic ones. Mm -hmm. The elements did make sense in this particular context. Uh, I just, I just worry that they're not there uh, because they make sense, as opposed yeah. to because they are associating Islam and Satan. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> and I will also note that we do have our uh, our best friend, Senorita Escobar, that. Mm-hmm. 
in actually specifically this period, I believe we are at the moment in time where now Sicily is actually under the rule of the crown of Aragon. Okay. A kingdom based in the eastern part of what is now Spain. And mm. so uh, so maybe maybe that's where Senorita Escobar came from. Yeah. Yeah. She, hey, good, good for her. Yeah. Uh, w- with her, I'd also... One of my deep dives was in the, the other. My, my other deep dive went through costuming, mm-hmm. which I am not as f- as familiar with. But having an art history background, I do feel that there was a bit of like it bothered me for one thing that like the silhouettes and head coverings were not consistent. Yeah. In that, especially for the women, some women had their hair down. Mm-hmm. Not everybody had their head covered. The silhouettes of the dresses, like Juliana is wearing this like off the shoulder like yeah breast showing dress. Senorita Escobar is wearing like like a floofy hat with a veil. Some people had a drop like Senorita Escobar had a dropped waist. Mm-hmm. Francesca, I think most of her dresses had a dropped waist even when they were fitted. But then someone like Juliana's dresses had a high waist. Yeah. Some people had like like a sheath dress. <laughs> right. Like there was just this whole like mixture of times and places. Some people were wearing a henin. Some people were wearing like the double henin mm-hmm. thing. It very much looked like they went to the Halloween store and just picked up yes. all of the medieval princess dresses. <laughs> yeah. And also like a turban and Dolores or Ripper Arabia produce. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, with the speaking with the costumes and that, I forgot to mention in the mask scene, I thought it was fascinating the different costumes Mm -hmm. because there was one guy who was dressed as a pharaoh Mm -hmm. or at least i mean he looked like yul brenner out of the ten commandments there was somebody that i'm pretty sure was dressed as cleopatra because she had like on a weird sheath dress then she had like a a egyptian wig looking Mm -hmm. thing but like a big thing there was a raven there was a guy who looked like a muppet i couldn't tell what he was supposed to be but he was all gray with big eyes i guess maybe he was an owl but it didn't look like an owl Mm mm-hmm there was another person that I wrote down as playing left shark <laughs> because there were just one scene, but he had a hat that looked like a fish and it had like a fish jaw up here on the top of its head. <laughs> so I just was like, are you the left shark? In a costume before it's time. I also wasn't sure what the lady, the basket head lady at the beginning of the mask was supposed to be. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I don't think they knew either. Yeah, it it did really seem for some of the costumes at the mask. Like, not only mm. had they gone to the Halloween store, then they mm. threw all of the costume elements from the Halloween store in a pile, mixed them up mm-hmm. together, and then actually there was, like, a two-hour period in which they said, go nuts. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of the... There were a lot of harem pants, which... Right. I don't think I can't vouch for the historical accuracy of what we refer to as harem pants because it's usually sort of like the I dream of genie outfit. And I don't believe that has ever really been historical. (laughs) It certainly, I think is not at this period. I uh, can't say that they were never a thing in like the 19th century. That's true. Yeah. I I think from what little I know of the outfits of like rock sharky, like belly Mm -hmm. dancing, a lot of what we view as the traditional outfits for them came about as, well, let's put on a show for the people at the World's Fair. Right. So it's like, what do, you, what do you think Western people think we are supposed to dress or look like? 
Yeah. That's kind of what struck me also about the uh, the veil that we see mm-hmm. Francesca wearing at the mask mm-hmm. is that it is that kind of like sort of like sheer veil, which feels very much yeah. like, yeah, that you see in those kind of like performances of those dances, but like performances mm-hmm. general often for Westerners. Yeah. Well, I mean, it matched her like bump it with the turquoise <laughs> pins. <laughs> Yeah, she she very much had that kind of I dream of genie vibe with that whole like that was what she was dressed as, I guess. I will also note so again, you know, they they have this reference to Catania and it implies that like that's where these villagers have come from. Mm-hmm. Catania is like a major city, not mm-hmm. a village with six huts. Maybe they're on the outskirts of Catania. They're like the <laughs> But at some point they say like this is everyone from Catania that oh, has yeah. survived, and I'm like, is it? That town was wiped out, man. <laughs> then replaced by CIA agents. Right. Like, uh, I, you know, even like during the Black Death, a lot of people died. But in like a city the size of Catania, like it's a major city. <laughs> it's not a place where you could like count on one hand the number of plague survivors. They were hit really bad. <laughs> or it's like the Catania of like the fact that there's like a Paris, Texas. Right. <laughs> this is actually like Catania, France. Yeah. <laughs> Lebanon, upstate New York. Right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, I think you can get into the uh, Historia ad Veritas, uh, where I talk mm-hmm. about a real event, person, and phenomenon, where I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about the history of Satanism. Woohoo. So there's not a lot of evidence that there was a real <laughs> occult worship of Satan as a thing in the medieval world. Although, obviously, you know, who knows what to do in the privacy of your own home? Mm-hmm. But there are elements of accusation, elements of supposed satanic rituals that do come up in various Christian heresy accusations. Mm-hmm. So sometimes in a really general sense that you just see heretics represented as servants of Satan. And sometimes their claim is made that they're actively serving Satan and doing certain kinds of rituals. And sometimes it's that they're kind of accidentally serving Satan by sucking. Mm-hmm. The Cathars are a really interesting example in that they're accused of Satanism in some sense. But based on what we actually know about Cathar dualism, they see the world as divided between essentially equally powerful forces of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that they see essentially Satan as a kind of co-creator. So they don't worship Satan, but they see Satan as having actually created basically everything material in the world, including perhaps even the human body. Okay. So that the, you know, it's the human body. Yeah. Gnostic. Yeah. Oh yeah. There are definitely connections and that like the human body is essentially this almost kind of like warring against itself because it has a soul created by God, but it's this like vessel created mm. by Satan. Okay. Okay. They, in this extreme dualism, is really interesting because the Catholic Church is out there saying, like, the Cathars are Satanists, and uh, the Cathars are basically saying, like, you're the Church of Satan because you're the one that has uh, this uh, embrace (laughs) of materialism, that Mm. you are a wealthy church and you care about all these material things, and so that actually makes you servants of Satan. So they're basically the the, the Spider-Man Yeah, yeah, yes. You're Satan. No, you. The Knights Templar were accused of a variety of charges, which included spitting on the cross, worshipping an idol referred to as Baphomet, and or a mummified severed head, and or a cat. They're also accused of homosexuality, because why not? Yeah. You know, these confessions were obtained under torture, which obviously Mm. makes them pretty questionable, in basically Philip IV trying to wipe out the Knights Templar because he owed them a fuck ton of money. That's one way to get rid of your debts. 
yeah, he did that a lot. Like he, like he owed the Jews a lot of money, and then he expelled the Jews, and then he owed the Italians okay. a lot of money. So then he kicked out the lot the Italian moneylenders, and then he owed the Templars wow. a lot of money. And then he was like, "What if I just accuse the entire order of heresy and have you all killed?" Okay, okay, that's yeah, okay. So yeah, that was sort of his his mo. I don't know as much about the Knights Templar as I would think I know. It mainly com- my ma- my knowledge mainly comes from. National Treasure and Foucault's Pendulum. That's mostly going to be wrong in that, in that case. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I assume so. I find the Knights Templar really interesting because everyone is like, mm. something clearly like really fascinating and strange was going on in the Knights Templar. They must have been involved in like some sort of like mystical thing. And it's like, actually, the Templars were basically just bankers. That's sort of one mm. of the things that they moved into, essentially, is that they then became the people that you could deposit money at the Templar houses in London or Paris. And then you would go mm. to Jerusalem and go to the Knights Templar headquarters in Jerusalem and, uh, you know, take out money there. So you wouldn't have to, like, mm. carry all this money when you went on pilgrimage from London to Jerusalem. Okay. Then related to that, you know, they had a lot of money and they're also making loans. So yeah. that and like that really is what is their downfall is that they loaned too much money to the king of France and he decided to be a dick about it. Well, that's not good. Yeah. But yes, but yeah. we so we have these accusations of heresy, yeah. including these kind of elements of perhaps of kind of like satanic or devil rituals or devil worship as part of what they're accused of. Mm-hmm. There is a case as early as 1022, however, where we do have two clerics who were tried for worshiping Satan. And it says that they are said to have convened on certain nights in a house agreed upon beforehand, holding a single lamp in their hands and declaiming the name of the demon like in a litany until suddenly the demon could be seen descending among them the likeness of some kind of animal. As soon as possible, everyone who is able seized the woman next to him to abuse her without having any regard okay. in their sins for a mother or a sister or none. Such a question they held for holy and religious. Yeah, and then they and then they sacri- and then if they have any children, they sacrifice them. It goes on. That seems, especially once you start getting into the like, oh, and then they had orgies and abused women and sacrificed the children mm-hmm. byproduct. That always seems like fishy. I'll just say it that way. Yeah, and we don't know too much about the background of this particular case, but it certainly is not. It's never impossible with this sort of accusation that it just was made up. Yeah, for whatever I mean, reason. You just- you just talked about how the king of France trolled an entire order that they mm-hmm. were all Satanists because he owed them money. Right. There are also a lot of references uh, to pacts with the devil in medieval Christian mythology. And the best example of this, perhaps, is the legend of Theophilus, which actually kind of uses a lot of the language associated with feudal homage to describe him making this pact and swearing allegiance or fealty to the devil. In a lot of versions, using a Jewish intermediary, because obviously okay. Jews are also Why associated not? with Satan. Right. You know? And basically, basically that, like, he got denied a promotion, and he was like, fuck you, I'll be, I've gotten Satan's side now. I've, that is a reasonable feeling sometimes. It's kind of like <laughs> corporate espionage, that, like, mm-hmm. fuck you, you didn't give me a promotion, I'm gonna go over to the other company. <laughs> the other company yeah. is just Satan. Right. You won't make me a bishop, Satan will make me a fucking bishop. But then he later repents and is freed from his pact by the intervention of the Virgin Mary. Yeah. I find that interesting how often the person is getting out of the pact with the devil. Yeah. In a lot of the stories. Like, even in the stories where they don't 
there's still some version floating around where they do. Because there's mm-hmm. a version of Faust where he ends up, like, repenting and, uh, like, Helen of Troy or somebody, like, prays for him and he gets to go to heaven. Hmm. But that's not the... Usually it ends with Satan dragging him down to hell. But, like, you know, th- there's yeah. just this outsmarting the devil thing that uh, shows up in a lot of those stories. And I think it is part a kind of resistance in some way to, I mean, to some of the kind of dualist narratives that would hold that Satan and Mm -hmm. God are equally powerful that a lot of these Mm -hmm. other narratives want to ultimately, and I think this is part of what's going on with the Theophilus narrative is that they do, I think, want to make the point that no, they're not equally powerful. Like not even God, God's mom is powerful enough (laughs) to end this pact with the devil. Right. I'm going to get my friend's mom on you. (laughs) Mommy. Mommy, the devil had me in this pact and you won't let me go. <laughs> My retelling Shows of the opposite. The curlers. <laughs> We're just going down that road today. But I will note that one of the things to keep in mind is that while there is this history of uh, Satanism and of uh, the use of uh, Satanic ritual in anti heresy accusations that does go back to the Middle Ages, that we really see interest in Satan and his. Uh, influence on people really ramping up in a lot of ways in the early modern period, mm-hmm. which includes that, you know, in the same way as we talked about, you know, the Cathars and the Catholics kind of both thought of themselves of the other as being servants of Satan, Catholics and Protestants mm-hmm. also and rhetoric accused one another of being servants of Satan. I have to just pick up a chick track to see that. Like, yeah. The evangelicals think of the Pope as like the servant of Satan. Yeah. So yeah, that's still around. And also, of course, that, as I've said many times before, and I'm sure we'll say many times again, witch persecution is really something that didn't take off until the 15th century, and its heyday is really Mm -hmm. the 16th and 17th. And it's really Mm -hmm. in that period that you're really seeing the development and the kind of standardization in some ways of a lot of our ideas about Satan and what and what certain kinds of pacts with the devil looks like look like and certain kinds of satanic rituals look like. And in particular, mm-hmm. that it's also, I would say, in that period that Satan worship and the pact with the devil become increasingly something that's associated with women. Mm-hmm. That in the okay. vast majority of the devil worship and pact with the devil stories that we see in the Middle Ages, they're actually about men. Yeah. So this is actually okay, accurate yeah. in that Prospero yeah. is in yeah. some ways a kind of Satanist in charge. Mm-hmm. I would assume, though, that then even if like that leads to us to a lot of sort of early modern depiction of Satan, Satanic rituals, it's still we're not getting the the full inversion of the Catholic mass that no. Satanic ritual is supposed to be of today that gets very like desecration of the Eucharist and the like Sabrina and the teenage witch. No, I mean, in, yeah. in the middle ages, the desecration of the Eucharist was something they just claimed Jews did. Right. Yeah. It didn't, they're not really. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there were a lot of desecration of the Eucharist stories and accusations, but yeah, no, they were all about saying that Jews are mm-hmm. doing this uh, because they obviously believe that it is in fact the body of Christ and they want to kill mm-hmm. Jesus again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, it's great. It's great. Didn't do it the right the first time. It's all great. But then I would assume like a lot of the the, the imagery, and not just stuff we haven't talked about here, mm-hmm. but like like the pentacle and the yeah. goat Baphomet creature and the 
statue mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, like a lot of that is really coming up uh, in uh, occult narratives that are like 18th and 19th century. And it's interesting is that they have mm-hmm. these like weird histories. So like Baphomet is actually the name referred to in these Knights Templar accusations. Mm-hmm. But there's like a lot of kind of slippage in terms of exactly like they kind of refer to an idol, but it's unclear what it is. Or if Baphomet is the mm-hmm. same as this like severed mummified head that they also have, mm-hmm. which... Some people have suggested they might have had a severed mummified head, but it was like supposed to be a head of John the Baptist. Oh, okay. Because you know those were everybody had a head of John the Baptist. Yeah, <laughs> floating around. So yeah, there are a lot of these things that are showing up in a cult that some of them do have older roots or are reinterpreting things that kind of show up in older contexts, but that are kind of putting a new spin on them in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. One interesting example of that in this film is in terms of the modern reinterpretations of a lot of symbols is the upside down cross, mm-hmm. which is the brand that Juliana puts on herself to demonstrate that she is the bride of Satan. Mm-hmm. And it only goes back to the 19th century for this to be used as an occult symbol. I am a weird medieval historian. So when I saw the upside down cross, I immediately was like, wait, is this an occult symbol? Do they do they use mm. this now? Because I immediately thought about St. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a weirdo. So you're a weirdo. Uh, my Catholic upbringing, that was the first thing. Yeah. I think when I first encountered the Upside Down Cross was, mm-hmm. oh, that's a St. Peter thing. But like, mm-hmm. why are we associating it with the Satanists? Right. Because for St. Peter, it was that obviously Jesus got crucified And St. Peter, when he was going to be executed, said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. So can Mm. you crucify me upside down instead? I'm a little confused, actually, about whether that works, like how effective it is as a I'm assuming since since actual crucifixion comes more from suffocation, it's sort of like another version of that. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, but yeah, so he asked to be crucified upside down because he's not good enough to die in the same way as Jesus. Mm. And St. Peter is obviously considered by Catholics to be the first pope and the originator of the papacy. So in the Middle Mm -hmm. Ages, if you saw an upside down cross, you wouldn't think about Satan. You'd probably think about the pope. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, she's a Catholic. (laughs) Yeah, what a good Catholic she is. And in fact, she's branding things into her skin. (laughs) And in fact, even I think there, I think this is more modern, but there are, if I'm remembering correctly, uses of the symbol at some point in Catholic history to essentially express this kind of unworthiness to be like Christ. Okay. That like St. Peter, we like want to be like Christ, but we know we're not quite good enough. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of symbol of like, of like humility, essentially. That does sound like a, like, like a humility square in quilting, which... <laughs> Is that a thing? Yeah. Apparently there was a tradition of you cannot create something perfect. So you deliberately put in a square that is flawed so that your Mm. quilt is not, is intentionally not perfect, which carries a lot of implications. It really does. Like if, if I didn't put this in, I would be a perfect quilter. But it's also, I feel like that with, I also feel like that with the idea of, of the upside down cross, like you're not, like the whole point of Jesus is that he's supposed to be like, what if God was one of us? Right. But it's also like St. Peter, like you're, even if you got crucified the regular way, Mm -hmm. you're still not Jesus. Everybody knows you're not Jesus. Yeah. And same thing. And like anybody with, with the upside down, it's like, yeah, it's, it, it seems very, 
I have to show people that I'm not like, it's like, yeah, we know, we know, mm-hmm. we know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So Juliana is just being a really humble Catholic. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a Satanist. It's like, according to other people, she's a Satanist. So I mm-hmm. mean, she's Satanist Catholic. What's the difference? Yeah. You know, according to Protestants, nothing. Yeah. It does remind <laughs> me of, I think it's a black adder where they're all having dinner with the Protestants. Mm-hmm. And they walk in and they all have like crosses on their shoulders and their head. And somebody says like, oh, this is mighty chilly weather we're having. And one of the Protestants goes like, nonsense. The cold is God's way of telling us to burn more Catholics. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. Catholics and Satanism. Uh Two flavors that taste great together. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that Satanism specifically tends to be a parody of Catholicism, but also mm-hmm. Protestants don't have any ritual, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. So there wouldn't be like a lot to parody. I mean, you can have some guy standing up in front of a mega church, like yelling at you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, because it is like a parody of the Catholic mass because there's this like fascination, like attempt to like link Satanism to ritual. And mm-hmm. they can do that as a parody of the of Catholics. But like, what is a parody of protestant doesn't even look like a potluck everybody like right. you know <laughs> this is my satanic potluck right i've brought the ambrosia salad for satan <laughs> <laughs> this is my ambrosia salad but i use black jello powder <laughs> the satanic mormon funeral potatoes <laughs> <laughs> although that turns it into um that scene in elvira mistress of the dark where she like brings the the demonic casserole to the potluck, <laughs> but it turns out to be like a horny potion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I think there is a, some kind of interesting ways in which uh, the film in a lot of ways, I think is mostly drawing on modern occult traditions, but there are ways in which sometimes accidentally, I think it does mm-hmm. then kind of hark back to some kind of medieval things as well. Yeah. Um, even mm-hmm. though it does in a lot of ways kind of assume that they're the same, which they aren't. Yeah. With that, I guess we can go into the Fabula Nostra, where we come up with an alternative story that we might like to tell. Do mm-hmm. you want to go first? Sure. I spent a lot thinking about this because I wasn't sure what angle to come from. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm going to go with, in the actual short story, it's not a castle, it's a abbey. Mm-hmm. Or like, I think it says like a castellated abbey. So I was thinking, like, do I want to just do something based on the original story or do I want to do what? So I'm thinking of like keeping the same basic structure mm-hmm. and characters. So it's still like Prospero and Giuliana and Francesca and that sort of thing. And he like, but instead of a castle, it is an Abbey and the main character is Giuliana. Mm-hmm. And so have her be like, this was a, uh, this was a Abbey before Prospero took it over. And Giuliana then becomes kind of like, a nun who's been forced into like this mm. lifestyle or maybe it's something where she like helped him get it, get this into this. I'm not, I'm not certain if she like, basically she, it's like the whole thing is her getting revenge on Prospero. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like even setting, like setting it up so that he does end up dying of the black of the, the red death, Ooh. even if she does die. Mm. I'm just not sure if I would have it yeah. be that like she spends the whole time as a Satanist or if she's right. like, a righteous nun throughout the whole thing, or if she's like a nun for Satan at yeah, some point in time, right. or she comes back to 
to Jesus. But like the idea mm-hmm. of like this has been her like long master plan, and even yeah. though she's been going along with Prospero, it's been a way to get back at him for taking mm-hmm. over because beforehand she was a, a dedicated nun. Hmm. There are satanic nuns in Good Omens. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. She was like, I had a good thing here and we had bees and we had illuminations and we had a little garden and it was really nice. And then you showed up. All your fucking satanism. Yeah. And there were no boys. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want them. Yeah. So that's that's my thing. Yeah. So I just, when I was doing some of the satanism uh, and Pact of the Devil history research... I was thinking that it would be really interesting to do uh, the, the the Theophilus legend, the story about this guy making a pact with the devil as this kind of satanic mm-hmm. panic horror movie, but that actually does like end with the Virgin Mary saving the day. Okay. That <laughs> uh, <laughs> she just comes and she's like, dude, no, and like rips up the pact basically. Okay. That you just like have this whole thing and it's like this really like into there's all these like really intense like horror movie kind of moments of him like trying to get out of this pact with the devil and then at the end <laughs> like it's just like has this like really anticlimactic scene where the virgin's just like dude uh. nice speaking that sounds oh that, i'm not saying it's the same thing i'm not saying i'm not trying to like but have you seen the movie i think it's called a dark song no I think it's on Netflix. If if, it, if it's not anymore, it was. It was an Irish horror movie where a woman, something happened in her past and I can't remember what it is. And so she's like hired this guy. And this is all in Ireland. It's, it's mm-hmm. an Irish movie. And so she hires this guy to basically like perform like an Aleister Crowley ritual in the uh-huh. house to do something. And I can't remember what exactly. It, oh, it's to summon an angel so that she can like make a wish. Mm, okay. And so there's this whole thing of like, redemption and like there's some interesting themes in there I think mm-hmm. that you talking about that might like yeah are similar that I think you might enjoy yeah no, it's a modern movie so it's not like a yeah. podcast thing right. it's like <laughs> purely for your enjoyment yeah dark song <laughs> I'll check that out mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. also I've been thinking it because uh, you know one of the problems with the original Theophilus legend is these anti-semitic elements or mm-hmm. anti-Jewish elements I feel like I'm sort of slowly turning this into like a weird almost comedy also but mm-hmm. that I, I think it would be interesting to like have a scene where he like because he is like a Christian who believes that Jews are supposed to be associated with Satan because of stories that he heard that he's heard he like mm-hmm. goes to like some like Jewish intellectual's house <laughs> and was like can you help me make a pack with Satan and he's like what no go home <laughs> and then he finds just like another monk who's actually the person who helps him alright so later on he conflates the two <laughs> yeah like, no really yeah that's yeah. <laughs> go home no what are you talking about we, don't, we already gave it the office <laughs> what we don't have anything to do with Satan stop bothering us yeah. We were just your religion first. <laughs> Doesn't even mean the same thing, damn it. We don't even believe in your idea of Satan. Go home. Right, yeah. Like, I, I can't summon something that I don't, I don't right. think exists. Right. <laughs> like, I can summon the Satan, but it's not going to be what you think it is. Right. <laughs> Especially, oh, it'd also be fun that uh, I, I don't know if there would be a way to fit this in, but I do also enjoy that to the extent that there is like ideas about Satanism and demonology and Jewish tradition, a lot of them also involve a, uh, a woman, Lilith, who according to Jewish, who had Jewish Midrash, which is basically like Bible fanfic, mm. it explains essentially that the reason there's two different 
creation stories, right? That first it says God just created humans, male and female, and then it does the whole thing with the rib Mm -hmm. is that what actually happened is that God created male and female. And then she decided that she wanted to be on top during sex, according to at least one version. And then Adam Mm -hmm. was like, no. And she's like, well, fuck you. I'm going to go off and become a demon and murder babies. Like you do. (laughs) Like you do. And then God created Eve. Yeah. Gatekeep, girl boss. Gas, wait, gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss. Uh huh. Yeah. So, yeah. So then, like, Lilith is this, like, wife of demonic figures and also, like, mm. demon who goes and, like, murders your babies. Like, you do. In yeah. Jewish tradition. So, yeah, mm. even if we could fit Lilith in there, in there somewhere. I would watch that. Yeah. Because that actually, oh, that actually could be. And just, yeah, because I don't want him to actually, like, have, like, a Jewish figure who's responsible, obviously, for obvious reasons for him, like, ending up in this pact mm-hmm. with the devil. But it would be interesting if, like, the per- if the if he did, however, ultimately, like, do the pact in some sense through the figure of uh, Lilith. And that then you had, like, mm-hmm. Lilith and the Virgin Mary arguing at the end. Nice. Yeah. So this is very yeah, confused, but I think it's fun. Yeah. Hey. Or I could see, like, her kind of, like, setting him up for failure. Like... Mm-hmm running with the with the like the guy i don't think this is going to be what you think it is yeah <laughs> so she's like it's like, do you, like do well maybe? you didn't like you sure you want this are you sure yeah so i think that would i think that would be fun too mm-hmm. to try and handle yeah it works yeah lilith always reminds me not always but there was a this is a dated thing there's a show called or not a show a game called vampire the masquerade mm-hmm. with a role-playing game and they had like this whole end of the world scenario for all of their modules mm-hmm. in one of the vampire ones it was basically that like because they had their they had the vampires be descended from Cain because the mark of Cain was to be a right. vampire and so all the vampires were descended from Cain so in this like Lilith combined with this entourage of people which includes like the figure of wisdom and all of these other major mythical figures basically comes back and says like you're all doing it wrong <laughs> <laughs> great and kind of like slaps all the vampires and then you know i think there's one part of this scenario where she sort of forces the spirits of cain and abel to make up <laughs> and lilith is the like founding vampire in true blood a show that oh, okay. i am embarrassed to say i have watched all of i have not watched all of it i read a lot of the books until there was one point in time in the books where she basically like killed everybody and then started over again mm. So I read most. Of, I read the books up until that point in time, and then I think I watched the TV show up until the Fairy War started. Yeah, the Fairy Wars were a lot, but the uh, the author yeah. actually went to the college at which I now teach. Oh, okay. Nice. Yes, yeah. she's she's our good alum as opposed to our bad alum, who was Amy Coney Barrett. <laughs> yeah. That. Yeah. Okay. That. that yeah. <laughs> good times. It definitely would be choosing. Charlene. Charlene Harris. Yeah. yeah. It's like. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's she's she's my favorite alum, I guess. Yeah, mine would. Uh, I think my college had Patrick Swayze. Hmm. My college where yeah. I actually went, I have a uh, Michael Dukakis. Oh, uh, okay. At this point, I think we can go ahead and uh, move into the estimatio, where we mm. rate this film on a scale from one to five, based on whatever mm. purely subjective criteria we see fit. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going a three point five. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really enjoyed it, decide, especially once I kind of decided to, to, as you said, just kind of sort of run with uh, some of the mm-hmm. weirdnesses of the film. It does pass the Ift Decker test. Okay. It does not pass the Bechdel test. No. So if the, the Ift Decker test, is, does it have to be just like one woman survives? Oh, yes. There's, yeah, one named woman who survives. And we've got two, in fact. 
Yeah. Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. Esmeralda mm-hmm. and Francesca. So it does pass the Decker test. Mm-hmm. It's got certainly other issues in its portrayal of women in particular that is a real like virgin horror thing with Francesca and Juliana. And that's definitely where some of the points off are coming from as uh, it's mm. basically that and the kind of Islamophobia. Yeah. But I think as a evocative, albeit not accurate, nor particularly specific representation of the medieval past, I think it's a really interesting one. And mm-hmm. I would recommend mm-hmm. it with those okay. caveats. Yeah. Okay. I agree with the 3.5. I I feel like a four is too high. That's kind of how I felt. A little bit too low. Yeah. Because I, I find it enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely some scenes where I just kind of glaze over, you know, where it's like, okay, why is Francesca wandering through the like the abandoned castle again? Or like, oh, Gino, who cares? But when it clips along, it clips along. Mm-hmm. I think the trio of Vincent Price and I blanking on the names of the two women who play the other, Juliana and Francesca. But what right. it, when it's dealing with like their relationships, it's really good. Yeah. I think it's like visually very appealing, mm-hmm. even if it's not like you said accurate. <laughs> it has a great attention to like color and mm-hmm. sort of a feeling across the board, even though it's very clear it did not have the largest budget in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like that's colorful. And also uh, I, I like that it's 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's shorter than we've been recording. <laughs> it's well shorter than we've been recording. We are now over twice the length of the film at this yeah. point. <laughs> It is fine. I like. I didn't realize there was so much to talk about, but there really is that yeah. much to talk about. I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think it's a really interesting movie. So as I said, I I mm-hmm. think three point five is the most I can give it, given some issues here and there. But I would yeah. absolutely recommend this movie. And if you are definitely listening to this and looking for something maybe a little different to watch in Halloween or on Halloween, mm-hmm. or actually, if you want to watch a horror movie with somebody who's really wimpy about horror. Yeah. Or if you yourself are very wimpy about horror, I think this is actually a really good, uh, really good option because it, I mean, I feel like the bloodiest even that you get is like the Falcon scene. It is just so obviously Mm -hmm. fake. Right. Yeah. It it, it skirts that line of, it's definitely not like for kids in the way that Hocus Pocus is. Right. Because it Mm -hmm. does have, I think, adult themes. Yeah. But it's not... It's definitely not like a hostile thing, but it still has like a, a good horror aesthetic to it. It's still yeah. spooky and atmospheric and dark. Yeah. So I think if you want a kind of horror vibe, but something that's mm-hmm. not going to have a lot of gore and also really not like a lot in the way of jump scares. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's not really a whole lot. Like, I think there's yeah. like maybe Like maybe one, or one two like maybe the bit with like the door, like the door in uh, Francesca's room and then it turns out to just be Juliana. Yeah, I'm going to say that and the like, Vincent Price opening his eyes. Yeah. But like, you see that coming from a mile away. Yeah. So if you're just like really wimpy about horror or somebody you want to watch with is really wimpy about horror, then this is, I think, mm. a great horror, horror movie for you. Yeah, it's, it's good. Gets you in the vibe. Yeah. David, thank you so much for joining me for these, these three hours that we have been recording <laughs> about this 90-minute movie. Are there places where the listeners can find you on the internet? Yeah, um, you can follow Thank You Five podcast at Thank You Five Pod. It's five is spelled out instead of a, a letter. We talk about musical theater. 
if you are interested in the Real Housewives of New York, check out Friends of the Countess. I didn't realize it's not exactly the same vibe as here, <laughs> but those are sort of the two podcasts. And Thank You Five is the one that has a social media account at the moment. All right. Great. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join our Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah F. Jecker. If you have any questions or suggestions, I would love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you, David, again. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Oh, and if you haven't yet, go listen to Sarah on Thank You Five Talking About Six. Yes, it was so much fun. Yeah. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Each man creates his own heaven, his own hell. Let me see your face. (laughs) 